Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet Earth, the John Campus Show, coming from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, streaming, television, all sorts of good things. And joining me here today, ladies and gentlemen, he is the high duke of good things. He's the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, John, I'm doing quite well, actually. I mean, uh, we had a we had a storm tear through the Southland yesterday. I thought I was going to drown, but I can swim. I, so I can. Here. I have listen. Uh, coming from you know eastern part of Canada, I, I like thunderstorms. Hey, that's you know you get four or five of those a month. Well, I had never seen a thunder and lightning storm like oh. this in Los Angeles since I've been here. It was it was like my dogs were freaked out and like even Anne was standing at the window saying, I've never seen anything like this. It was kind of crazy. I thought it was beautiful. I it loved it. It was spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. It. And speaking of spectacular, guys, it is spectacular to have you here joining us today. We do have a lot of things to talk about here. We're going to have Michael B. Jordan directing uh, Creed 3. That's now official that and a whole bunch of other things more but a couple of uh house cleaning items to get through here first first of all guys if you haven't done so already why don't you take a second to go ahead and click on that subscribe button become a subscriber to the youtube channel It'll keep you up to date on all the things that we've got going on around here and that would be awesome uh indeed also want to let you guys know that if you guys have uh, you know, you can't always be in front of a computer screen or a phone. You don't have the chance to watch a YouTube video. If you're like commuting or at the gym or something like that, and you want to listen to the John Campia show, good news. There is the John Campia show podcast. It is the audio only version of the show. We put some exclusive stuff up there as well. So make sure you go and find the John Campia show podcast on your podcasting app of choice. So that way the audio version of the show is there when you need it. And uh, thank you to everybody who already subscribes to that uh, as well. Also guys, as that came popping up again, all by itself. Uh, also guys, a little bit of a plug time here. Of course, you guys know that uh, spent the, better part of a year making a documentary about movie trailers and movie trailers is such a core part of movie fan culture the movie and documentary are now complete and they are up and available online worldwide wherever you live you can get our documentary movie trailers a love story now by simply going over to www.vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers and if you happen to live in the u.s or the uk you can also have the option of watching it on amazon just go to amazon if you live in the u.s and the uk and search for movie trailers a love story and you should be able to find it there no problem. And a deep thank you to all of you guys who have already gone to check it out and uh, watch the film. And we are deeply ingrated, uh, indebted to you. I was trying to say indebted and gratitude at the same time. We are deeply I, I just want to say that I'm in it and the director of this film really knew his stuff. Yes, he did. He really knew what he was doing. Handsome so man, I'm, too. Handsome I'm man. I'm proud to be a part of it. Proud to be a part of it. <laughs> and it was awesome having you in it, and as well as everybody else who's in it uh, at the same time. All right, guys, listen. We've got some items to talk about here today. We're going to get to our main topics in just a minute. But there are a couple of off-the-tops to talk about. So let's start off with our first off-the-top, and that is this. Now, of course, Wonder Woman 84 uh, has just come out. It came out a little over a week ago in some theaters around the world. But, of course, in North America, it launched on HBO Max, and it's up there now. Film is getting mixed reception. Some people really liking it. A lot of people really not liking it. Some people like me didn't hate it, but didn't think it was very good either. So, you know, a lot of mixed bag of reaction. 
But shortly after the film came out, attention got diverted over to Wonder Woman 3. As Warner Brothers quickly announced after the launch of uh, Wonder Woman 84 that they are green lighting and moving forward with a Wonder Woman 3 project. Now, of course, that'll start a lot of speculation about what will Wonder Woman 3 be about? And one of the big questions, I know certainly for me is, or has been, will they make it a period piece again? Because one of the strengths of the first Wonder Woman film was that they got to isolate Diana away from the rest of the DCEU so they could just focus on her and her story. They decided to replicate that again with Wonder Woman 1984. So the question has been, what are they going to do with the third one? Will they go to the 1990s? Who knows? Well, apparently now they are saying that Wonder Woman 3 will indeed be set in a contemporary uh, time period. So they're going to bring it up to modern day, which is what a lot of people have kind of been asking for and a lot of people have been wanting. They're going to bring it up to modern day. On top of that, this was an interesting bit. They might bring back Cheetah. Now, this is a quote from Patty Jenkins says, I have my reasons for making it ambiguous, talking about the ending of 84 with Cheetah and Cheetah's specific ending at the end of that movie. I have my reasons for making it ambiguous, and I think it's not clear what her point of view is on everything that just happened. I love that we wrap up Max Lord's point of view and that you see the culmination of that storyline, I think is so important. But the truth is, there may or may not be more to come for Barbara. And of course, by Barbara, she means Cheetah. Now, this this might get into a little bit of spoilery territory for for something that happens at the end of the film. If you're interested in Wonder Woman 84 and haven't seen it yet, uh, you might want to tune out here for a minute because there's going to be some stuff about Cheetah here at the end. So just, you've been warned. The movie, I didn't think the ending for... And and Rob, I don't know, call me crazy. I didn't think the ending of the movie for Cheetah was very ambiguous. She, like everybody else, renounced her wish and she was left sitting there and like everybody else around the world. I, I really didn't find it to be all that ambiguous. It was pretty clear. She renounced her wish, no longer Cheetah. There you go, all done. Right. So I'm not quite sure what ambiguousness there is there. Would Would I be up for Cheetah returning? Absolutely. I, you know, Cheetah and Kristen Wiig, I thought was one of the, you know, not many strong points of the film. I actually really liked her performance. I kind of liked the character. I didn't think it was used properly, but I liked the character. But here's my question. 84, by the time this movie comes out, if it is set in a modern context, then we would be talking about nearly 40 years have passed since Wonder Woman 1984 to when this movie comes out. If it comes out in 2022, 2023, 2024, whatever, it's going to be close to 40 years. Now, for Wonder Woman, that's not a problem. She uh, Obviously, Amazonians age much, much more slowly. So that's fine. She's going to look exactly the same. Barbara, however, is a human being who renounced her wish in the last one. So I'm I'm not quite sure how they're going to make that happen now, Rob, so let me ask you this. The whole idea, two concepts here. The notion of bringing Wonder Woman 3 into a modern context and the notion of possibly bringing back Cheetah again. What are your thoughts on that? Well, John, Kristen Wiig is 47 years old. And admittedly, she looks, looks so good for 47. She is, I, I oh would my dare God, say, she looks awesome. I, I would dare say smoking hot. Uh, she looks fantastic. However, uh, 36 years 
from when this movie was set would be this year now. Right. <laughs> Contemporary. Would she be like in an old folks home wondering if she was going to get COVID? Please, Diana. Please. <laughs> I don't want to be sick anymore. <sighs> I don't think that would go well. I mean, I don't I don't think a, 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 a super heroine or a super villainess in her 80s is much of a formidable opponent. Call me crazy. And uh, what's she been doing for the last 36 years? Just still at work at the Smithsonian? What's <laughs> Diana doing? Because apparently, according to Batman v Superman, she's uh, Wonder Woman's still looking for antiquities. Uh, uh, isn't she going to be like, you, you've never aged, Diana. <laughs> it's been 36 years and you never age. Like, I, I, I think it's very problematic. I don't think you can bring anyone back in a contemporary Wonder Woman movie unless they're gods of Olympus or Amazonians or maybe, maybe they're from uh, Atlantis. I don't know. Now, I mean, to me, the assumption is obviously they'll have to come up with something that she also does not age. I don't know if they do a Steve Trevor or sorry, uh, um, a a Captain America thing where five minutes or five days after the events of Wonder Woman 84, Barbara gets trapped in some like idiocracy. She gets trapped in some sort of. Uh, isolation, what do you call that thing? A cryogenic Cryo- chamber, yeah. and she wakes up for. I mean, they'll have to do something like that. They would but, have but, to do something like that. But even so, I mean, like, you know, she we we saw her change in the movie, and if she renounces her wish, it's not like Cheetah is an entity that exists. This was something that she wished for that was conjured up. So how does she come back? Like it. it I, I, that's a stretch for me. You know, somebody in the know. live somebody in the live chat uh, brings up an interesting notion. Talk since it is in the Wonder Woman setting, maybe one of the gods that is that that doesn't like Diana or has something out for her mom or something like that. Maybe makes a deal. I've, I saw you fight Diana. I will give you the power to continue the fight against. I don't know. They could just. I mean, we've 36 seen six years ago. We've but seen. Now you're in your eighties. We've <laughs> seen a lot of sillier things in comic books. We've seen many more s- no, silly it's, things. It's but, true. Uh, I don't know. Question to yours, guys. What do you think about this? I, I kind of like the ideals. I'm all for them isolating Wonder Woman in a different time period again. I'm fine if they want to do that, but I'm also pretty good with them bringing, bringing it up to the modern context and era. And Cheetah's Cheetah. I, I mean, I don't mind bringing her back, but you got to come up with a really good, compelling way and reason why she's there. There are possibilities. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Maybe she gets lost in the quantum realm with Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> it's all tied in together. All right, guys. With that it's the down. the multiverse of madness. Let's go on to a second off the top, and that is this. You know, uh, Creed was a real pleasant surprise to a lot of people, myself especially, because when they first announced the first Creed movie, I thought the idea was dumb. It's like, come on. The Rocky, the Rocky story has been told. And the Rocky stories about Rocky. We don't need to see stories about who Apollo's kid. Come on, really? And then Creed came out and it was awesome. Just absolutely awesome. Then they did a Creed 2. Now, I was a little bit nervous because Ryan Coogler wasn't coming back to direct it. And Creed 2 isn't quite as good as Creed 1, but it was still really quite good. And so I liked it. So there have been some talk of Creed 3. 
And even back in, I want to say sometime in the summer, there were some whispers going around about the possibility of Michael B. Jordan himself stepping up Mm. to direct it. Well, apparently, uh, that's not just talk. It's now officially confirmed. Tessa Thompson has confirmed uh, in an interview where she was promoting another one of her movies, uh, she has come out and confirmed that it is done. He's he's doing it. Now, she's talking about making fun of Michael B. Jordan because he was just named, you know, sexiest man alive. But it says this, in an interview with MTV's uh, news news promoting her latest film, Sylvie's Love, Tessa Thompson discussed Jordan's newfound title of 2020 Sexiest Man Alive and jokingly said that she was going to pretend it hasn't happened due to them making another Creed very soon and that Jordan's new title is too much for her to shoulder. But after Thompson claimed she would give him a lot of crap about it, she was asked if Jordan would be directing and the actress said he is directing the next Creed. She would follow up by uh, continuing to tease her co-star by saying, it's going to be ammo, I think, for me. When he's engaging with me as a director, I'm just going to tell him to dial down the sexiness. And uh, <laughs> listen, as as an extremely heterosexual man, she ain't wrong. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan's a sexy dude. So here we are, the, the, the talk and the whispers, and we thought they were probably true anyway, but they are now confirmed. Michael B. Jordan is directing the next Creed film. And I'll tell you what, this is, I'm always a little bit nervous about first-time directors, but this is, Rob, when you really think about it, the exact kind of movie that Michael B. Jordan should be coming in to direct as somebody with not a lot of directing experience. It is, despite the fact that we all love Creed, they are smaller films. They are, in fact, smaller films. They're not budgeted very high. They don't make no. tons of money at the box office. On top of that, this is he's already been on a Creed set twice. He's worked with two different directors on it. He knows this character now intimately. So the ability to now direct the film and act in it, I think will make it a little bit easier because he knows the character very well now at this point. So, again, I don't know if he's going to turn out to be a great director or not, but... If you're talking about an actor with little to no directing experience, wanting to step in and direct a film, this is the perfect kind of film to do something like that. So I think this is good news, Rob. I mean, I would rather hear Ryan Coogler is coming back to direct. That's what I would rather hear. But this is pretty good to me. Rob, what do you make of this? Well, you know, I've I've seen Michael B. Jordan talk about this. I, I was on some talk show and he's a really smart guy. I'm really curious to see what he will do with this. I, I heard, John, rumor on the street is he fights Cheetah. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, he way, makes a wish. He makes a wish that Apollo, his father, would come back, and then Apollo yeah. comes back in the body of Mr. T, and Mr. T fights Cheetah. That, we just wrote I, your movie for you, WB. Take it, run with it. For all of you out there, don't run with that. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> just so you know, I, I was making a joke to be clear. Um, no, I, I think this is great. I, you know, he wants to direct. I think that he, he knows this franchise. He worked with Kugler twice. He's seen how Disney movies are made. Black Panther is a huge film. And I, well, think, he's worked uh, with Kugler th- three times, like Fruitvale station, yeah. um, Black Panther and Creed. He's worked with him as a director three times. Yeah, and, and to have that kind of a relationship and to see how films are developed and finally executed, I, I think it's a good a good move for him. And let's face it, Stallone himself directed Rocky films. That's yep. how he started. And I, I think it's a good a good 
uh, good for him. You know, I think that's what you do with your stardom. You parlay it to further your career, not necessarily monetarily, but you stretch as an artist, as a filmmaker, and I think it's great. I can't wait. I think this is going to work out really well for him. The question is, guys, what do you think? About this whole, it's now official, Michael B. Jordan will be directing a Creed 3. I guess even another piece of news there, it's now official, there is going to be a Creed 3, and Michael B. Jordan will be directing it. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section John, below and let me know oh, your thoughts. All over, right. uh, over under, oh, we oh, see any under. of the characters from Rocky 3 come back. From Rocky 3? Yeah. <sighs> Well, that was the one with Mr. T, right? Yes. There's been a lot of whispers. Somebody, I remember when the when talk first came out about maybe they're they're doing another Creed after Creed Two. There were rumors going around about next time he's going to fight Clubber Lang's son. I mean, here's here's what I think: the possibility of a Mr. T cameo, like being interviewed ringside for something else, like a cameo, very high, or a wrestling cameo. What, like who? You know, um, um, oh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? You know, uh, uh, blonde hair. Hulk Hogan as Thunderlips. As Thunderlips, the ultimate male versus the ultimate meatball. Yes, there, there's the one too. Man versus the ultimate meatball. That I, I, I wouldn't throw it away. I would not throw it away. So I'll go. I think that'd be kind. Of, I mean, hey, with listen, Cobra Kai. Come on, it'd be cool to bring back Thunderlips. If we're just talking about cameo. Yeah, I say the chance of a Clubber Lang or a Thunderlips return are very high. I would say like I in know, the seventy percent right? range. So I I would go pretty high. Anyway, uh, all right, guys. With that down, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. When you come across a big topic or story that you think we should make a main topic here in the show, go anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Jalen Pryor. And Jalen Pryor writes, Hey, John. So I just saw that Sony has announced that they are working on seven shows and three movies based off of video games. I'm hyped for what they have coming up. And sure, and sure, Uncharted is coming soon. But isn't that a bit too early to jump the gun like this? And are you excited to see what they have to offer? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, they actually announced some time ago that I remember we did a story on this show, Rob. They did a, a story some time ago that Sony and PlayStation, they formed basically a whole movie division to be based on making movies surrounding the video game properties. And there was a, a thing done recently where they we didn't know just how big they're coming out of the gate. Seven. Seven shows. Three movies. All coming straight out of the gate. Uh, this comes to us from CBR. And CBR writes... Uh, in May of 2019, Sony officially launched PlayStation Productions, an in-house studio designed to develop TV shows. So this is all the way back in 2019. Uh, an in-house an in studio designed to develop TV shows and movies 
based on the many titles from Sony uh, video game library. Sony is currently in post-production on Uncharted, a, a live action film based on the action adventure video game series of the same name that's scheduled to release in 2021. So this Rob has actually been something that's been around for a long time. This whole division that they've been moving. So it's not like they've just had the idea yesterday. You know what? Maybe we should turn our own video games into movies. We should do that. Let's create our own. And then today they came out seven shows, three movies. No, this was two years ago that they kind of laid the groundwork for this. And anyway, let's go over to, to comic book resources because they write some more stuff about this. As CBR goes on to write, uh, write the following. They say in May of 2019, or that was on that one, on the small screen, PlayStation Productions is developing a TV show adaptation of the post-apocalyptic game The Last of Us series for HBO. We've talked a lot about that one. The project is being executive produced by Neil Druckmann of The Last of Us, an Uncharted video game franchise. Craig uh, Mazin from Chernobyl. We talked a lot about that. And Carolyn Strauss from Chernobyl and Game of Thrones. And was officially ordered to series on HBO in November. Neither casting details for release or nor release date have been announced yet. Among other PlayStation video game adaptations known to be in development are the Metal Gear Solid movie, which Jordan Vaught Roberts from Kong Skull Island is directing, and Derek Connolly, Jurassic World and Kong Skull Island, is writing for Sony Pictures. Oscar Isaac recently became attached to star in the film as the soldier Solid Snake, having a fan cast, uh, having fan casted himself in the role for the movie in March of 2019. Uh, the film is still waiting on an official release date. So we already actually know of several movies that they're already developing. We already know of several properties they have in the game. Of course, we don't know 10, but we know about several. And by the way, thank you to Wolverine VS for sending in a super chat badge. Thanks for that, Wolverine. Um, <laughs> at, at, at any rate, so we've already known about the moving uh, on a bunch of these other projects. Are they getting ahead of themselves? I think there are two distinct things you got to keep in mind. I think on the one hand, you talk about, oh, we're doing a Power Rangers movie. And just so you know, we're going to have nine more coming out after this Power Rangers movie. Launching a dark universe and saying, oh yeah, we've got the mummy coming out. And by the way, look everybody, we've got Invisible Man and we've got Frankenstein and we've got this and we've got that and we've got all, and <laughs> that's getting ahead of yourself. When you're talking about planning out eight films in one series, when you haven't even launched the first one, that's one thing. And that is getting ahead of yourself. But Rob, to me, if you're just talking about being a, a new studio being formed right. and you have different projects on the go. They aren't all part of the same series. You want to have multiple projects on the go. So I think there's a distinction to be made between being a new studio and, and getting all these projects running versus getting one franchise and saying, we're going to do 10 films in this franchise. So I actually don't think this is them getting ahead of themselves. They're certainly not rushing. They announced the formation of the studio two years ago. So I actually think this could be pretty good. I mean, maybe they'll be terrible and maybe they'll be really bad at it. But I, I don't see anything wrong with the moves they've made so far. And I'm looking forward to a lot. I so, I'm certainly looking forward to Uncharted. I'm certainly looking forward to The Last of Us. So they got a lot of stuff on the go. Anyway, Rob, you hear about this. What's your take on this move for them? Well, you know, I've said on this show before that when I played the first Uncharted, it was the first time I felt like a video game and a movie had sort of come together. I was really invested in those characters. And I was blown away. I Like, it was the first game, John, I sat down, other than to pee, 
I didn't get up till I was finished with the game. I was that into it. And they've got they've got great stories. And if they can figure out the dramatic arc of these stories, I think video games can be <clears throat> a rich source of dramatic material. We just we haven't had a lot of luck seeing the translations work, but Uncharted and Last of Us can be great films and TV. And I think uh, it's a good bet. Why not? I mean, they adapt novels. They adapt comic books. Video games nowadays have very compelling narratives. Why not go all in? Sony, PlayStation, it makes sense to me. Yeah, and look, we often forget too. And by the way, thank you to Adam Muhammad in the live chat who sent in a super chat badge. Thank you for that, Adam. Um, we forget they have been putting out video game movies for ages. For, right. for, for decades, they've done it. And I still remember, it still hurts to think about it, Rob, but you don't even have to go all that far back. I remember, first of all, three rules in life, death, taxes, all video game movies suck. There have been some minor exceptions to that. Like the, the recent Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider wasn't great, but I had fun with that. Right. Um, Mortal Kombat, the original, is awful, but I love it. I don't care if it's awful. I love it. Uh, and there have been some exceptions here and there. I still, though, remember, Rob, that period of time. There was about a two-year period of time when so many of us were waiting for the next big genre because right. comic book movies had just really found their footing. The golden age of comic book movies was now established. Mm. And we thought now video games can because there were two movies coming that was going to throw open the gates and usher in a new era of great video game movies. And those two were Warcraft, directed by Duncan Jones, yeah, and Assassin's Creed, starring Michael Fassbender. Which and I, looked great. Oh, dude, the it looked so Assassin's good. Assassin's Creed were dope. It looked so good. And I remember all of us, for like almost two full years, pointing to the calendar saying, yeah, yeah, video game movies suck. But keep that's when it's all going to change. Now, I didn't hate Warcraft. Actually, I had some fun with Warcraft. A lot of people were very disappointed in it, though, and it underperformed, certainly. Assassin's Creed is like one of the worst films I've ever seen. And so that whole hope of, ah, uh, the next big hope might be this new Sony push. As we get Uncharted, as we get Last of Us, as we get whatever other projects that they're going to start pulling together, that might be the hope. But let, let, let me ask you this. Like I say, don't give me hope. Don't do it. I feel like Hawkeye. Don't give me hope. Is Could this new movement, Sony putting together a specific production unit specifically for the case of taking their video game properties, translating them into things? They're certainly bringing in top talented people, people involved with Chernobyl, people involved with Game of Thrones. They seem to be doing a lot right off camera. Is this going to be the thing that ushers in finally the video game movie era? What do you think? Well, hope springs eternal, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I look, I, I, I think by definition, as much as I say that The Last of Us and and Uncharted have great stories, and and we'll see because they're both getting prestige treatments. Um, it, look, I'd love to see what Cap. I'd love to see an Onimusha or a Devil May Cry series just because i love those games those were some of my favorite playstation games those capcom games but it really comes down to great stories and great characters 
can you create a great narrative out of a video game? And it's, as we've seen, not easy to do. I think it can be done, but yeah. the question is, the question is, you know, do you have the, the, the narrative and the cutscenes in video games are designed to get you to the next play stage. Level, the next yeah. Gameplay level. Yeah. And, and, and like not necessarily the, the genesis of great drama there. So if again, great storytellers and great characters, if you can do it, I think it can be done, but it takes talented people that know what they're doing. Somebody we'll needs see. somebody needs to make an Excite Bike movie. That'll do it. Excite Bike, <laughs> the old Nintendo game, Excite Bike, that'll wow. do it. Wow. <laughs> that dude. I thought I'm old. Wow. All right. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about these moves that Sony is making? I think they show a lot of promise. Now, of course, we're a long ways off from seeing the actual execution of it, but hey, maybe this could be the thing that actually brings in an era of video game movies. We've had a lot of them in the past. Very few. You know what else wasn't so bad? Sonic wasn't so bad. I was charmed by Sonic. I, I kind of I got a kick out of Sonic. So there are there are a few kind of exceptions there of not completely sucking, but we need that golden era. Maybe this will be it. What do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Roderick Walker, who writes, Hello, John. I have been a daily listener since the AMC closet days. Thank you so much, Roderick. Uh, I was just wondering if you think Patty Jenkins could get scrapped from her latest Star Wars project coming out because Wonder Woman 84 was so divisive. This would fall in line with what Kathleen Kennedy has done in the past with directors. Thanks. Keep up the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And now you might be wondering, what do you mean this would be in line with what Kathy Kennedy has done with directors in the past? Well, let's not forget there was a period of time that Kathy Kennedy had gotten Colin Trevorrow, right? And he was going to be directing the Star Wars movie. And then what was it called? I think it was called Book of Henry came out. And it did terrible box office, did terrible with the critics and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't too terribly long after that that we found out that Colin Trevorrow was no longer directing the big Star Wars movie. And of course, the reason given officially was creative differences. Like everybody sing along with me. And that very well could have been true. It may have had nothing to do with Book of Henry, as a matter of fact. But there's a lot of fans out there that still kind of believe that Book of Henry was the thing that got him removed from that movie. I don't know that I agree with that, but hey, it's out there. It's a possibility. So with Wonder Woman 84 coming out, a movie that I don't hate, but I don't particularly like either. Um, with Wonder Woman 84 coming out and getting a lot of that, you know, divisiveness that right now Star Wars is trying to avoid divisiveness. It's not a ridiculous question to ask. Could this also cause a Kathleen Kennedy to say remove Patty Jenkins at this point? Because it would be in some ways consistent with Kennedy's past behavior. It, it's not completely unreasonable for somebody to wonder that. I will say this. I don't think so. I, I, I don't expect that we're going to hear that Patty Jenkins is suddenly experiencing the same creative differences that uh, Trevorrow did or a long list of talent, Rob, before Trevorrow as well. The sudden magical appearance of creative differences. I suspect we won't. 
I suspect we won't. And and on top of that, Kennedy seemed very excited and energetic about the announcement of Rogue mm. Squadron. Uh, we go back a ways. Like, let's just go back and revisit it. Uh, this was a, in a report from IndieWire at the time. In Kathy Kennedy's announcement, she said that Jenkins's film, this is the new Star Wars film, will explore a new, previously unexplored era of Star Wars lore set in the future beyond The Rise of Skywalker, which is very exciting to me, to be honest. In a statement on StarWars.com, Lucasfilm said Rogue Squadron will introduce new generation of Starfighter pilots as they aired. So there goes uh, no wedge Gentiles, I suppose, a new generation of starfighter pilots as they earn their wings and risk their lives in a boundary pushing high speed thrill ride and move the saga into the future era of the galaxy. So there seemed to be a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement internally about the project. That doesn't automatically mean that we can't see Kennedy again lose yet another director for whatever reason that is still a possibility i suppose um rob i look at this again i think it's a reasonable question that the viewer asked because of kennedy's past patterns but it seems this feels like a different situation to me so i actually don't think there's any danger of patty jenkins uh magically suddenly uh wishing on a dreamstone losing this particular gig and and listen i'll be honest with you i'm excited about this movie i want to see her do it especially after the way she announced it with her dad being a fighter pilot and all that kind of stuff I, i'm looking forward to it, so i don't think there's any danger here yet what do you think about this well look we we all love Patty Jenkins, right? One of the things that has been forgotten is that Wonder Woman, the original Wonder Woman, was developed by director Michelle McLaren, who left the project shortly before filming. And it was already written, it was already scheduled, it was already planned out, and Patty Jenkins was brought in, not at the 11th hour, but but at the, you know, at the... Uh, pretty close to filming and she came in and did a great job, but it was already written. It was already scheduled planned and she, she came in to fill a hole. And I do think that having written this movie and directed the film, I, I think there are concerns and, um, about this. Now I have to say one of my favorite moments in uh, 2020 was that promo for rogue squadron. When she was rollerblading on the tarmac at a, yes, that is her going up to fly an X-Wing, explaining that her father was a fighter pilot. She grew up around fighter pilots. And I'm like, you know what? That kind of passion is exactly what you want from a filmmaker. And you can't find that anywhere else. She's probably the only director working in Hollywood today at a, at a franchise level whose dad was a fighter pilot. I mean, her dad was basically Maverick. That's how I like <laughs> to imagine. And and I think who who better? Uh, so I'm I'm pulling for old Patty. I I no, she's not even old. She's hot. I uh, I she's probably not as old as Cheetah would be in Wonder Woman three. But <laughs> still, I I, uh, I I want her to make this movie. I I loved seeing her talk about it, John. I'm excited. What about let's let's discuss then for a second the. Not her element, but the Kathy Kennedy uh, element of yeah. it. Now, it it seems lately that the whole merry-go-round of her hiring writers and directors and losing writers and directors that seems to have changed a little bit recently. Mm. Do you think she's going to hold course on this? 
Well, the force is female, John. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I think so. Because even though we as fans and maybe the, the Rotten Tomatoes score might not be as high as they want, she did steer Charlize Theron to an Oscar in Monster. Uh, her pedigree is good, even though, look, she's made three movies in the last, what, <clears throat> 15 years, and two of them were quite good. Now, Wonder Woman, uh, Wonder Woman 84 has good stuff in it, um, but uh, I think they're going to hold the course. I do. Yeah. I mean, but just, and, and to revisit her resume, Pat, uh, Patty Jenkins's resume, she has, uh, first of all, uh, she has uh, a film that she wrote, uh, wrote got, uh, the honor of the AFI American Film Institute's Film of the Year and Monster. She directed Charlize Theron to the only Academy Award win Charlize Theron's ever had as an actress. There was that. She directed a bunch of television in which she got Emmy Award nominations for her directing and directing television in a time when, and I think we all forget this a lot, when Wonder Woman came out, the DCEU was on life support. It was in a it was in yeah. a bad way. The perception of the DCEU was really bad, despite the fact that I had liked every single one that had come out. The general perception of the DCEU was that it was in rough shape right now. Wonder Woman comes along that Patty directed. It becomes the first bona fide critical audience and box office hit that they had, um, which is why, you know, it, it just it feels like. I keep looking and I don't want this to turn into another review of Wonder Woman 84, but it just, it, it confounds me, Rob, that I look at Wonder Woman 84 and I look at all the other stuff, television and the movies, and by the way, she was honored by the Cannes Film Festival as well. I look at all that stuff and I look at Wonder Woman 84 and I just like, this doesn't feel like Patty Jenkins directed this film. Like I just, I, I, I don't know. And I speculated about this the other day, Rob. I said, I don't know if somebody got in her ear. I, I don't know if, whether it was, you know, Jeff Johns or whether it was uh, somebody from another studio or whether it was a, a, another filmmaker this year. I don't know if somebody got in her ear and said, oh, do some, something completely different than you normally do. It just didn't feel like that. And I was that's part of the reason why I was so because, you know, I have a lot of respect for Patty Jenkins. That's part of the reason I was so disappointed in this movie, because I just expect much better from her. And I hope we get to see this Star Wars movie like you. But I also hope she gets back to doing what she does. Um, because what she did in Wonder Woman 84, look again, I'm not saying Wonder Woman 84 was a train wreck, but it right. didn't work. At least not for me. It just didn't work. And I hope she gets, she's able to get back to what she wants to do. Anyway, question here is guys, what do you think about this? We have seen Kathy Kennedy, you know, pull a lot of directors out of their chairs already. Do you think it's possible that they could pull Patty Jenkins from this? I don't think they will. I certainly don't hope they will, but maybe you can see reasons why they would jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's move into our third and final main topic today and our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by jason o'connor and jason o'connor writes uh where'd we go star wars twitter went into a frenzy yesterday when fans called out Lucasfilm executive uh, Pablo Hidalgo for apparently making fun uh, of a fan's reaction to a certain scene in the Mandalorian season finale. 
the fan was Star Wars Theory, and he got him. That's the name of the the, the YouTuber, just so you know. The, the fan was Star Wars Theory. That's a guy. Uh, and he got emotional because of the scene. That's obviously the scene with Luke. Do you think Pablo's comments were unnecessary or the outrage was justified? Would love for you to make a statement. All right. Thanks a lot for sending this. And listen, I saw this going around yesterday and I had absolutely zero intention of talking about this. (laughs) Zero, (laughs) zero intention of talking about this. This is so not worth talking about. However, then last night or earlier, earlier, Variety actually made an item out of it. Yeah, I know. Variety I actually made that. an item out of it. Now, for those of you who don't haven't caught up with what's going on with this situation, let me give you a little bit of context here. So obviously, Mandalorian season two, episode eight, the season finale has that incredible moment where Luke Skywalker shows up. Now, a lot of people, I went down a rabbit hole, Rob, me and Ray and Ann and our buddy Ryan, we went down this rabbit hole. We spent literally about three hours watching on YouTube people's reactions to the Luke scene. It was glorious. And one of the great ones was Star Wars theories. Star Wars theories reaction was wonderful. Yep. And there were a lot of absolutely bonkers, fantastic reactions. And I just spent like hours watching them. It was great fun. Plus it made you happy. Made I, you. I, I love seeing movie fans get emotional. My whole thing was I needed to know that other people cried because I yeah. felt embarrassed. I, yeah. I, I, I felt like a little kid that should be embarrassed, but I'm not now. Yeah. And it wasn't even like the traditional reactors. It was like just a lot of people <laughs> sitting down watching the show and they, they filmed themselves watching it. And it's like they, it was beautiful. It was absolutely yeah. beautiful. And Star Wars the theories was one of them. Right. Star Wars theories was one of them. Now, it's funny, Rob, because not long ago, maybe a week ago, somebody wrote in and said, man, isn't it great that Mandalorian has healed the Star Wars fandom and and, united the Star Wars fandom again? And I said this. I said at the time, I don't buy that. I said, I think what Mandalorian has done, it has brought Star Wars fans together in agreement over Mandalorian. Yes. But it has not brought Star Wars fans back together again. It, it just, I said, I hope I'm wrong, but I think we all just agree that we all love Mandalorian, but it has not healed any of the wounds. It has not brought, brought Star Wars fans back together. Uh, it has not repaired Star Wars. A good start, a good start, but it has not repaired Star Wars. And it only took a week for me to be proven right. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. So I get somebody sends me this message the other day and it's just, it was a simple message and said, you know, um, star Wars fans reaction was like the title on the email. Right. And there was this graphic that they, they sent to me this graphic and just said, what do you think about this? Now, Pablo Hidalgo, for those of you, he's part of the Star Wars story group. He's at Lucasfilm um, and uh, a lot, but he's, he puts up private stuff, right? And this particular thing he put up was private. It just got screen captured and shared around. Right. But he wrote, he had a picture of Star Wars theory in the midst of having his reaction to the movie. This is from Star Wars theory's thumbnail of his reaction. And Pablo Hidalgo wrote, emotions are not for sharing. And I'll tell you, when I read that, because remember, the person who sent me the message 
the person who sent me the message, they didn't write anything else other than, what do you think about this? Yep. And it was the thumbnail, uh, Star Wars Theories thumbnail with him crying on the thumbnail and Pablo Hidalgo saying emotions are not for sharing. And there was no other context to it. And I looked at it and I thought one of two things. I never thought Pablo Hidalgo was mocking him. I, I didn't either. Really? Okay, yeah. See, I, I never, when I looked at it, and I'm, I'm saying this was before I heard anybody else saying anything about it. I just, somebody sent me that image and my first reaction, not that my first reaction is necessarily right. I'm just saying my first reaction to it, I never thought for a second when I read it that he was mocking Star Wars theory. I, I, that's just, I thought one of two things, Rob. Here's one of two things that I thought Pablo Hidalgo might have been referring to. My first initial reaction, which I later kind of didn't think, was that, oh, he's making fun of all of us men, that we don't show emotion. <laughs> Right. Right. That was my first thought. It's like Pablo Hidalgo's making fun of the fact that we men don't show emotion. We're not supposed to show emotion. You know, if you're you're a movie fan, come on, it's just a movie. It's just thing and that we often get criticized for, right? Or it's a Jedi thing. Or like, or maybe you, you it's know, a Jedi can't... thing. I don't know. And again, I'm just saying this was my first reaction. Yeah. So that was my one thought that he was just making fun of all this men that you're not supposed to show emotion. So that was my first thought. My second thought that I really then believed at the time. Mm. My second thought was, well, that might be Pablo Hidalgo kind of criticizing Star Wars theory for putting an image of him crying on the thumbnail. Now, the reason I thought that was because I myself was the I was the target of a lot of criticism back a couple of years ago. Let me bring this up a couple you, of years ago. A target yeah. of criticism. Go, go figure. Right. So back when I was still at uh, Collider. And when Carrie Fisher died, uh, I did a, a special video of Carrie Fisher dying, and uh, I, I got emotional in it. I wasn't expecting to get emotional, but I got emotional in it, right? Right. I remember and, that video. And so uh, somebody back, I was in Canada at the time on vacation, so somebody back in LA just quickly put together a thumbnail for me. It's not a great thumbnail, but somebody back in Canada just quickly put a thumbnail together for me, and they chose to use this image of me from the video where I clearly look like I'm getting emotional, right? Yeah. And I became the target of a bunch of criticism when I put this thumbnail out, when we put this thumbnail out saying, you know, oh, that then you're faking it. If you if you're advertising, look everybody, this is what people were saying to me. Look everybody, look how sad I am. And I had people saying to me, it makes it look like your emotional reaction in the video wasn't authentic and it was just for the clicks and you put it on your thumbnail and blah, 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 blah. Right. And I get, I get that. I get that criticism um, to a degree because maybe it does get, maybe it did give the appearance that in the video, my reaction wasn't actually authentic because right. I was just doing it so I could get a thumbnail. It's like, look, everybody, look how sad I am. That's the criticism that I got at the time. This is years ago. So, and obviously I knew I wasn't doing that, but whatever. So when I, when I go back to this and I saw that Pablo Hidalgo write, emotions are not for sharing, I thought, well, maybe he's just joking about us as men not sharing our emotions. Or then I went to, you know what? This is probably him making a comment about, look, you shouldn't be putting this in your thumbnail because I got the same thing. So I thought maybe that's what he was maybe critiquing. Just don't put in your thumbnail because it makes the perception that you're faking it in your video. 
Obviously, I wasn't, and I don't think Star Wars Theory was either. So that's the situation. Emotions, five words. Five words. Emotions are not for sharing. (laughs) What happened then was hours later, I started seeing this huge blow-up happening in my feeds about Lucasfilm executive Mox Star Wars fan. And then I saw these like thumbnails, like people making videos and these thumbnails saying it's like pictures of Pablo Hidalgo with the word, with a word bubble coming out of his mouth saying you little pussy and like stuff like that. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, did Pablo Hidalgo double down and say something like really offensive and insulting and mocking. And so what I did was I started digging around trying to find where's this new tweet. Where's this new thing that Pablo Hidalgo said that that was so insulting and mocking to Star Wars theory. And then I found out there was no new thing. It was, it was this thing. Emotions are not for sharing. And look, let me, let me say this. I don't know what was going on inside Pablo Hidalgo's head. I don't know Pablo Hidalgo. I, I don't know. I think he's he's actually said a couple of nasty things about me in the past. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think I think he's actually said a couple of nasty things about me. Um, so I don't know Pablo Hidalgo. I have no dog in this fight. I don't feel any particular need to defend Pablo Hidalgo either. I just don't. But I don't know what's going. What was what? What was he thinking when he wrote that? I don't know. And the reality is, you don't know either. Right. So my thought is. If he wrote emotions are not for sharing as a mock that he was mocking Star Wars theory for having an emotional response to the Luke Skywalker scene, then and just a little heads up, everybody, I'm going to swear just I'm I'm trying to swear less on my show, but I'm giving you a heads up. I'm going to swear here. Okay, if Pablo Hidalgo wrote that with the intention of although he would have been doing a pretty bad job of it. But if, if he had wrote that with the intention of mocking Star Wars or making fun of him for having such a positive, beautiful reaction to that scene, if that was what Pablo Hidalgo was, was thinking, then fuck Pablo Hidalgo in his stupid fucking face. If that's the case. If the case is he would that he was thinking this dude's a little more. Look at this little man baby crying over a little Star Wars thing. I'm going to mock him. I'm going to get on publicly and mock him. If that's what Pablo Hidalgo was thinking and that's what he was doing, fuck Pablo Hidalgo in his stupid fucking face. But I don't know that that's what he was thinking. Because, Rob, I'll tell you, when I saw all the outrage about it, I thought I was going to find some statement from Pablo Hidalgo saying, look at this little bitch. Look at <laughs> look at this little whiny man baby. I thought I was going to find some, because the way people were reacting, it was like, they must, oh, wow, Pablo must have said something like really bad. And I didn't find it. There, there, there just right. wasn't anything there. So if he meant it as a mock, fuck that guy. But I don't know that he meant it as a mock. Now, on top of that, it should be pointed out here too, Rob. On top of that, Pablo Hidalgo then got on, uh, then got on, and he wrote to clarify. And he said, "Listen, I wish to clarify that my post that emotions are not for sharing was was sarcastic self mockery and was certainly not intended to be hurtful to anyone. And I'm deeply sorry that it was. As a lifelong fan, I appreciate fans expressing how they feel. It's what being a fan is all about. Now, I want to read also what what." This is the part that hurts because if all of us Star Wars fans look bad. 
this is written in Variety. This isn't Joe's gas station movie reviews dot fart. This right. is in Variety. <clears throat> and Variety wrote, let me read this at length here. Hidalgo did not address pay- placing. This is the other thing. I don't know what he was thinking. Hidalgo did not address placing the offending tweet at the banner over his account, but a source close yeah. to him... But a source close to him says that he did so briefly, not out of malice, but ra- but after people began asking his private followers for screenshots of the deleted tweet. The damage, meanwhile, had been done. By the time Hidalgo apologized, Two's, that's uh, Star Wars Theory, Two's YouTube reaction video about Hidalgo's tweet, in which Two's discusses how much Luke Skywalker had helped him when he battled cancer, had already amassed half a million views and was trending on Twitter. Two's reaction had itself inspired its own backlash with several posters suggesting that his outrage was a willful misreading of Hidalgo's intentions, a good way to generate more traffic to his channel and revenue into his pockets. And once more, Star Wars fans were fighting with Lucasfilm and with each other. And once more, Star Wars fans are fighting with each other. Uh, Twos did not respond to multiple requests for a comment. A a spokesperson for Lucasfilm declined to comment. So look, when something like this happens, and you've heard me say this about a lot of scenarios, Rob. Yeah. I was not there. I was not inside Pablo Hidalgo's head. All I can tell you is when I first saw what he wrote outside of the context of everybody else getting mad and I just saw it, I didn't... My first reaction was I didn't think he was mocking him. No. So the only thing I'm left with is I'm not going to pretend that I'm magic and know what's going on in his head. And therefore, if he meant it as a mock, fuck him. If he didn't, then it it feels like people... I'm going to say something a little bit dangerous. Uh Uh-oh. But (laughs) there is a small segment of Star Wars fandom... <clears throat> there is a small segment of Star Wars fandom that gets a lot of attention and a lot of clicks and a lot of views when they get to bitch about Star Wars. And no. with Mandalorian, there hasn't been a lot to bitch about Star Wars. And and I, I and it feels like there are some people who are just looking for anything, the slightest inch they can take to make a mountain out of a molehill molehill and create a big controversy and create a big thing that we can say, look at this fucking guy. But, but again, I don't know if Pablo Hidalgo was actually thinking that then screw him. If not, then everybody's making a big deal out of something that shouldn't be made a big deal out of. And I, this is why I was initially not even going to talk it until variety made all of us star Wars fans look stupid again. Well, they're not making us Star Wars fans look stupid. Star Wars fans are making ourselves look stupid again. And that's why I wasn't even going to talk about it at first. So I don't know. It should also be mentioned that Pablo Hidalgo's initial tweet was sent in a locked private thing. He didn't make some public announcement. Look at this little wussy crying like a little baby. You want some kittens there, cupcake? Like it's not he went out in public. It It was something he said in a locked thing that I didn't even interpret as being a mock but maybe he meant it as a mock. Bottom line is, I'm not going to pretend to know what was going on in his head. So I don't know. But that's the situation here. I don't know, Rob. You saw all this thing blowing up and, and happening. What do you think? Well, see, obviously we saw it like after it was. It, it, I felt like we were seeing something in mid-explosion, like something in the Matrix, like an explosion went off and then it slowed down. And we, <laughs> and we watched it exploding. When I saw that... the. the First of all, let me let me say this real quick. Pablo Hidalgo did a he, was, he did a podcast 
called It Came From Netflix's Basement. And I edited a film five years ago called Paradox. And they covered it in this. And it was it, this podcast was like a mocking podcast. I worked on this movie. We, we made it very quickly. But, but I edited this film and I, I really worked hard on it. And they had it on their podcast. And they ripped it a new one. But at the end of the podcast, they said, but this movie's pretty good. You know, for watching a low budget, they tore it up one side and down the other. But at the end, they said it was pretty good. So I was like, I had a little exchange with those guys and said, hey, man, thanks for covering the movie. And and I've always liked Pablo Hidalgo. I've always liked the guy. I don't know him. I've never met him. When I first saw this tweet, when it started to blow up, I thought he was saying that he was saying emotions are not for sharing because he was crying too. You know, he's right. and he didn't yeah. want to admit it. That's what I thought it was. That's what I thought it was. However, then when he made that, like his banner on his Twitter stream, he knew this was blowing up. He knew that the explosion, the matrix explosion was, was there. And it was, it was a slow motion conflagration and, uh, he doubled down <laughs> and, and it, it, all he had to do was tweet, I don't understand why this is misunderstood. I was crying too, and I was trying to say that I don't want to admit it, <laughs> you know, or something. Because the, I read it that way. I thought it was kind of cute. I, I Like you, I didn't understand. I'm like, why are people angry? Because I thought that he was saying emotions are not for sharing because he was sitting at home crying as well. That's That's what I first thought. But then... He closed his Twitter and redid it and started a new stream. And it, then it got hinky. And then I'm like, oh, like he could have, he could have easily nipped this in the bud and said, guys, I was crying too. I could, I loved seeing Luke come back. No problem. It would have ended there, but he didn't. And it was his actions afterwards when he made it, he was, he, he, he really was mocking people once he knew the explosion had gone off and that was when i was like bruh come on i i disagree i i think he might have been mocking the explosion i don't think he i still don't think he was mocking the guy i i I don't know i i agree with you i don't think he was he was mocking star wars theory personally i i i thought I, i really don't but then when it exploded he was mocking everybody you know, mocking the whole, he was basically like going after the whole internet. Like you said, the, the star Wars fans that want to get angry because he didn't, he didn't address it. it, it, It's like we all cried. I cried when Luke came back and I was embarrassed. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like wiping my eyes going, I hope my girlfriend doesn't see this because it was, I was crying like a kid, like a little baby. And I was embarrassed for myself, sort of, because then it was like, Luke's back. This is the best thing I've ever seen in 2020. This is about it. it was me, dude. And so if you want to mock me for crying, deservedly so. But on the other hand, it was freaking awesome that Luke Skywalker came back and wrecked shop. So I don't think anyone, my mother, if she found out I was crying, she'd be like, I understand. I yeah. know you. So it was it, the whole thing. It's not like he said that Star Wars theory guy. What a pussy. He didn't say that. You know, emotions are not for sure. I thought that was kind of a Jedi thing. 
you know, hate leads to suffering, suffering leads to the dark side. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. he did. He didn't. He didn't follow. There was no good follow through by Pablo. He allowed this to explode. He could have nipped it in the bud, but didn't. Um, I thought, but I thought he did. He put out the apology. Um, yeah, like a day, day or two later, when the entire internet mocked him relentlessly. I and, and, and dude, you know what? You're a duly uh, appointed representative of Lucasfilm. It's not like. Like, if you work for Lucasfilm, you've got to be careful what you do online. That's the world we live in. And I, I thought all around he did not handle it well to the point where I heard that he hired or I read, maybe this isn't true, that he had to hire some spin control PR company <laughs> to I, help him I, out. I, I wouldn't buy that for a second. But now that you have to, like, making a public apology, this has now become de rigueur for anybody that screws up online. I certainly did it this year. I didn't realize, like, when I made an angry tweet, people took it the wrong way. You called me within 20 minutes, and you said, brah, you know, you didn't, you should have said, this is not good. you got to apologize. And I went back and reread my tweet, and I thought, you know what? This can be misconstrued. And then it was taken out of context, but I had already made the apology video because you pointed it out to me. And I, I thought, wow, I've, I've tweeted 100,000 times this one tweet. And then, of course, I got angry with somebody I worked with, and I, I swore at him, which I really regretted. That was what I to, – to, 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 to wantonly say something bad to a colleague, somebody I work with that I respected. That was bad. And that was something where I, I, I it, it showed me how quickly things spin out of control online. This is not something that people are unaware of. You've got to be careful, especially if you work for Lucasfilm and and Star Wars Theory. I like that guy. I like I watch I've watched his videos for years. Oh, I thought his reaction video was beautiful. I thought I thought it, I thought I it was it, it, dude, it was I one of the most it. genuine, heartfelt, like real. Because sometimes reactors get criticized for like faking their reaction. The the Star yeah. Wars theory reaction to the Luke scene was one honestly one of the most genuine, like real heart moving kind I, of reactions I saw. I watched it more than once uh, because because he he that was how I was feeling. And I have to say, did you see his follow up video after this all exploded? No, no, I didn't watch it. But variety I, variety talks about it. But he was he was really hurt. Like I, 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 I watched that video and I felt his pain. I, I, and I was like, man, I, 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 I felt bad for him. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you didn't deserve that because like you, I loved his reaction video. It made me feel like, I felt like, oh, I guess I don't have to be embarrassed anymore. <laughs> I'm him. We're the, all him. One of the, us. one of the other things that I found really interesting and I, I, I just need to call this out, was that, and I'm not going to name any specific places by name, but a little while ago, for those of you who've seen my documentary, you know about this. There was a guy, there's a YouTuber, for those of you who haven't seen my documentary, because we may, we specifically bring this situation up. A while ago, back in 2019, there's a YouTuber by the name of the Eric Butts, who uh, did a reaction to the Rise of Skywalker trailer. And in oh, the yeah. and okay. in the trailer, 
this dude breaks down and balls like a baby. Yeah. Like just breaks down and balls like a baby. Like he doesn't have a huge YouTube channel. He's got like 45,000 followers, but his reaction kind of went a bit viral and it got, it's got like over a million views. Like this reaction of his is got like over a million views. And you know, I went through, he got destroyed. He He got absolutely destroyed by a lot of people. And I went back with, again, I'm, I'm not here to throw anybody under the bus, but the thing that I found interesting was I found some of the shade that was cast at Eric Butts for crying because he loves Star Wars so much and was having an emotional response and experience to watching the trailer and all that kind of stuff. Some of the destruction hurled at him was done by a couple of the specific places that are now attacking Pablo Hidalgo for say for even giving the appearance that he was saying something negative about that. L- let me say that again. There are I, I found at least a couple of the identical people who were destroying this kid for crying and calling him a whiny little this and that and destroying this kid who are now saying that Pablo Hidalgo, how dare you say something about another guy showing emotion? It's like, there's, there's a bit of hypocrisy there amongst the star Wars fandom uh, as, as well. The big difference though, is that in this case, Pablo Hidalgo actually works for Lucasfilm. Again, my bottom line is this. I think anybody who pretends to know what was going on inside Pablo Hidalgo's mind and what his intentions were is being disingenuous. We don't know. All I can say is that when I first read his his comment, outside of the context of hearing other people got upset, I didn't think there was anything to be upset about. I thought he was criticizing the thumbnail uh, for anything else. And I, I, I don't know. It just seems like, look, cancel culture is a huge thing right now that everybody is dealing with and everybody wants to jump on. Everybody complains about cancel culture, but everybody jumps on board the cancel culture train when it's something that they don't like. And then it's, it's this whole thing. So I don't know. It's a really weird situation. All I know is that is this Hidalgo came out and said, listen, I, I didn't think out what I was writing, blah, blah, blah. I did not mean for this to come across. Like I was mocking this guy. This is what we as fans should be think to me. That should be enough then. That's enough. Yeah. He said, that's not what he meant. To, and we could think maybe he meant something else, but we weren't in his head. And again, the, the, he wrote a five-word thing. I I don't know. I don't know. It seems like I, a bitch well, much. I, I just think that we're missing the big picture here. And the big picture is, bruh, Luke Skywalker came back and kicked ass. Oh, yeah. And like any, any healing that's been done in the Star Wars fandom now is gone. <laughs> Any healing now that was done in the Star Wars fandom as a result of Mandalorian that kind of brought everybody together, that's all gone. It's all gone. And Rob, again, you and I talk about this sometimes. People who are in high positions, like executives at studios, big movie stars, big directors, hire somebody to be your social media manager. Because you might think in your head, oh, this is cute. I'll just tweet this out. When really you're being stupid and not thinking it through 
And you really should have somebody that, there's no excuse in this day and age for somebody like a Kathy Kennedy or a Pablo Hidalgo or a Robert Downey Jr. or a Denzel Washington or whoever to not have a social media manager who will review tweets before they go out so they can say to them, hey, this could cause yeah. you problems. Because while I don't, I, I will take Pablo at his word that he didn't mean it as a mock and he didn't mean insultingly, but you still have to be self-aware that you are a Lucasfilm employee. You are a Lucasfilm executive. You got to be, especially with Star Wars fandom being as toxic and a minefield as it is on all sides, especially in an environment like that, you've got to be careful and he simply, listen, maybe he was being a giant ass and I just don't know, but at worst he was being, what's the word I'm looking for? Negligent. Careless. At worst, he was being and careless in a very volatile situation. Do I think there were people who automatically overreacted for their own gain? Yes, I do think there were some other people who overreacted for it. I think there are some people who knew very well Pablo Hidalgo probably didn't mean anything by it, but they wanted to make it out that he did. But that doesn't change the fact that Hidalgo's got to think these things out and be aware of the context and be aware of the situation and not do anything that gives the opportunity for causing further destruction. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But all I know is this. The, this is a bad day for Star Wars fans in general. Yeah. Because of Hidalgo's message because of the reactions to it any any sort of healing done in the star wars fandom that has been such a rotten thing to be a part of for the last number of years all the good stuff the mandalorian did it's gone all all the good stuff that came as balls the mandalorian in one day it's gone and uh and there's a lot of responsibility for that to go around anyway guys question is uh, what do you think about the whole situation? It's ugly whatever way you look at it. It's ugly whatever way you look at it. But what do you think about the whole thing? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all of that down out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live questions. If you guys want to send in a live question to the show, uh, the, the way to do it is simply go look in the near the top of the description of this video. You're going to see a tip link. You can go and cl click on that there. It's simply at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Once you guys get there, notice the top line where it says your name. A lot of people send in tips and support the channel, but they forget to put in their name. And so it just comes across as anonymous. If you send in a question and support this channel, I want to make sure you get a shout out. So please make sure you remember to fill in that part about your name. So go ahead and fill that out. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of if us here. If it's reasonable. <laughs> if it's reasonable. And, and all of us here at the John Campus Show, thank you guys very, very much for your support. All right, let's get into it here. We got a lot to get to. Uh, James LH writes, you know, I was so excited when Slipstream came out. Oh, I remember Slipstream. That came out in 19. Bill Paxton was in that with Mark Hamill. Uh, I know, uh, you know, I was so excited when Slipstream came out in 1989. As I thought at the time, this was the first big film Mark Hamill had been in since Return of the Jedi. He had a completely different look. I really tried to like the film as it was Mark Hamill. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't good. That wasn't good. And remember he did, what was it, Guyver? Remember Mark Hamill yeah, also did? Yeah, the Guyver. Did, the yeah, first, yeah, yeah. They got to remake Guyver, the Guyver at some point. That I mean, Mark Hamill's version, unfortunately, was not very good at all. But Slipstream is like post-apocalyptic after a bunch of natural disasters and there's a bounty hunter and not so good, James LH. I wanted to like it too, right? James LH also writes one of three. 
Hey, John, 103. About the Luke and the Mandalorian and Gideon reaction. My thought, it wasn't the Jedi, but the Jedi he feared. Uh, uh, Luke, but this Jedi he feared. Luke became infamous with the Empire when he destroyed the first Death Star. Imperials would have heard of the legend of Luke uh, taken by Vader to the Emperor in the throne room. And Luke was the only one who walked out alive. We, the audience, know Luke defeated Vader, but it was Vader who, as Kim would say, performed a sneak attack to defend the Emperor. I am curious if Luke ever told anyone he never defeated the Emperor in combat. To my point, an example is that if anyone has seen the classic Western, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, my dad used to watch it all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's a line, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. I just know that because my dad would like watch it all the time. Um, there's a line in the jur- uh, where the journalist says, uh, this is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Well, first of all, yeah, no, it was clear. There really weren't any Jedi fly- walking around at the time, right? Like, Return of the Jedi had just happened a few years earlier. Luke is just at the beginning stages of trying to reassemble a Jedi Academy and get the Jedi Order back together. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. When Gideon saw the X-Wing coming, he wasn't afraid a Jedi might be here. No, he was, I agree, he was specifically, he knew. Because Rob, we saw that in his face. When Gideon saw the X-Wing, you could see it in his face. He knew exactly who was showing up. Right. And he knew exactly <laughs> what was going to happen. What was your interpretation of that? I I felt the same way. I mean, you know, we've seen that there were other X-Wing pilots out there policing the galaxy. You know, Kim's convenience. Mr. Kim yep. he's out there. But when Luke was flying into this ship, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's unless you know what's up. Uh, this isn't the kind of place you're going to come. It's a, it's a one man fighter <laughs> when you're flying into the trouble and you're in a one man fighter. That means, um, there's only one person it could be that thinks they're going to fight their way through dark troopers and anyone else in that ship. And it ain't Mr. Kim. No. Nope. <laughs> so, and Gideon knew he knew, Gideon knew. He, well, he I'm knew. done. I'm done. There's nothing that's going to help me now because that guy's here. It was a great, great moment. All right. Uh, Brazilian dude writes. Uh, hi, John. If Lucasfilm were to announce a Star Wars movie set 100 to 150 years after the epi- after episode nine, would that excite you? Uh, Emperor Grogu in his prime years. Well, Grogu would still be pretty young, actually, uh, in his prime years. LOL joking, but would uh, would be surprising, but exciting direction, in my opinion. Creators would have flexibility like Old Republic. Well, we might be getting that. I, I mean, we don't know. They're saying that Rogue Squadron happens in an era after the rise of Skywalker. Is it five years after the rise of Skywalker? Is it 15 years after rise of Skywalker? Is it a hundred years after five Skywalker? I mean, I don't know. I'm not taking a guess at this point, but that's the thing, Brazilian dude, we may be getting that movie. And yes, whenever you take star Wars out of its current environment and into a different environment, I get excited about that. So that's one of the reasons why I really like the idea of rogue squadron. Brazilian dude also writes favorite non-American films, five, a Separation. Four, Infernal Affairs. That's my all-time favorite cop film. Three, Parasite. Which one? Best picture. Uh, two, Cinema Paradiso. And number one, City of God. I think whenever you do those lists, I've got to also throw in there Amelie. Amelie is one that that everybody has seen and loves, but we often forget about Amelie. Uh, what do you think about that list that he just put up there? Well, uh, I, I, look, there is a long... By the way, City of God rules. So I have good. Blu-ray. So good. Um, uh the there's so many great films. I mean, where's Kurosawa on that list? You know, but 
I, 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 it, it, it's a good list. I think all those movies are very respectable. By the way, Cinema Paradiso just came out on 4K Blu-ray. Thank you, Arrow. Um, the, uh, it's, it's a great list. All those movies are great. But there's so many others. There, that's the thing. Whenever you try to put together those lists, there are so many to, to cover. All right. I, I, I mean, there's as many foreign films probably as there – well, maybe not. I don't know. But I could think of a hundred that or should more, be on that list. Or more. Or uh, more. All right. Uh, next up, ZOMG Ruler writes, uh, oh, my God, John, when they reused the beautiful lie suite from Batman versus Superman, I thought that was so brilliant, was appropriate, too, because Diana convinced Max it was uh, it was all indeed a beautiful lie. It really shows Patty's respect for Zach. Am I reading too deep? I don't know if you're reading too deep. I all I know is that, you know, while I didn't like the film, there are a number of things about it that I thought worked. And to me, the music worked. I I, I found that every scene when, when the music played, the music helped me heighten the experience that you're supposed to be having in that moment, whatever the experience is. I thought it blended into the background when it was supposed to. I felt it stood out when it was supposed to. And I personally kind of like the music, whether you're reading into that or not. I don't know. You might be completely accurate with your assessment. I don't know. Uh, but I just know that. I, yeah, I like the musical score. I thought it was pretty good. All right. Stormtroopers are good shots, right? Merry Christmas for those Star Wars uh, for those Star Wars lore nerds out there like me. The High Republic era is actually stated to take place between 200 to 50 years before the, the Phantom Menace or 232 years before the Battle of Yavin to 82 years in Star Wars years. I thought it, it stated it was like 300 and something years or whatever. All I know, Rob, is that when they initially started talking about High Republic, they were talking like 1,000 to 500 years before right. and then then it's gone through some transformations obviously now they're saying a couple hundred years to under a century before and i they, it may be completely fine but i'm not going to lie to you i'd like to see it separated a little bit more from Me the too. existing star wars thing is yeah you feel about that way too yeah i i really do because like you i was like wait a minute i thought this was hundreds of years i thought we were going to see yoda 400 years ago training jedi at the height of his power and to me if it's a hundred years, the 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 Republic's in decline already. You know the 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 Jedi Order. Uh, it, it's not far enough away. And uh, and by the way, it also shows that they really didn't know what they were doing. The the fact that they're changing this up as they move along, I'm like, great. So it wasn't where you thought it was. So to me, the the end of the High Republic era is then the decline of the Republic. Mm. which I, I, I'm like, uh, we're not that far away. Uh, that, to me, it's like it's the 20th century. Look what happened in the 20th century. If you go from 1899 to 1999, 20th century, not a great era for humanity, <laughs> although also a great era. We went to the moon, airplanes, computers. There's a lot of amazing stuff that happened. But then there was the rise of communism and 20 million Russians killed and Pol Pot and Vietnam and World War One, World War Two, and Korea and uh, horrible, horrible stuff. So the good comes with the bad. I thought we would see an era where the galaxy was at its height, you know, that, that everything was amazing, incredible. The Jedi were at the height of their powers and everything was working. The Republic was working. Now, if it's 100 years away from it's it, it it's it's the edge of the precipice of doom. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, All we'll right. see. 
Uh, let's good. let's move on here. Next up, Black Frost writes, uh, Wonder Woman 84 is now a Christmas classic right next to Die Hard. <laughs> I enjoyed the message of the movie, uh, but feel it was really heavy handed. Your thoughts. Um, oh, and, and tipped in $20. Thank you for that, Black Frost. I, I don't know if the message of the movie was heavy handed. Like at the end of the day, to me, the message of the movie seemed to be um, sometimes what you want is not what's best. Right. You know, what what your inner desires, what you want the most, sometimes that can cause more havoc. And, and we've got to think about the other people around us. And that, I thought, was it heavy-handed? I don't know. I mean, it's certainly, they laid it on a bit thick at the climax. They certainly did. But I don't know that I felt like they laid it on very thick throughout the rest of the film. I mean, with all the flaws that I, I have and I see in Wonder Woman 84, I don't know if I think that's one of the flaws. I don't know, Rob, what do you think? You know what the biggest flaw to me is about this movie? And it, I, I, people are going to go, oh, you're nitpicking. You have a superhero. You have Diana. She's an Amazonian warrior. She's a child of Zeus. And her wish is to bring back her lover that died in World War I 70 years before this movie started. That's what's on her mind. That's what Wonder Woman was thinking about. Oh, I had no issue with that. See, I, but I, it made I, her. I, it made I, her more I'm, human to me. It I'm made her more saying, real. But but it's like, where was she in World War Two? Where was she in Korea, Vietnam, the Civil Rights Era, ERA? What was she doing? And she's still like having lunch or dinner by herself at cafes, pining over a guy that died in World War One. To me, I'm like. This is what our superhero is thinking about. What about the rest of the 20th century? She saw she was around when man landed on the moon and she's still well, thinking about Steve Trevor. Let me disagree with you on that. And here's why here. I'm going to disagree with that because one of the things, one of the highlights, one of the narrative important things, like we always say, put the story first was that, you know, she has. According to this movie, at any rate, like in Batman versus Superman, she just hid away from the world. According to this movie, she, she says, says for a hundred years she walked away from the world. She walked away from the world for a hundred years. Not. Yeah, they 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 retcon that obviously because in this movie she implies that she has been spending her time trying to help humanity, and she has that one speech when she's talking to Steve Trevor about, look, I have done all of this. I, I help people. I do this. I've never asked for anything in return, and the cost to her has been a life of isolation and a life of loneliness and whatever. And there's only truly ever been one thing that she truly loved. And that was Steve. And she's never been able to get over that. And to me, narratively, that becomes important later on because for her to step up and be the hero means she has to renounce the one thing, the only thing she's ever wanted for herself. That's the only thing she's ever wanted for herself. And she needs to take that step and renounce that one thing. I mean, I look back at movies like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Like nobody complains that Robin Hood's main uh, motivation, all that, was made Marion to the point that you even have, uh, what was um, what was the name of his friend? Uh, Kevin Costner's best friend. But anyway, he's Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. But what's the name of the character? Uh, I can't remember. But anyway. When your so best the, friend's Morgan Freeman, that's all his that, name All you need to know is more. But Morgan Freeman, like as they're about to catapult themselves and maybe get themselves killed. And it's like, is is all this over a woman worth it? And worth dying for. And, and so, and we never have problems when it's that. So I don't know. That part to me with 
all the things I didn't like about this movie, that was one of the elements that I personally kind of thought worked. Uh, but but yeah, after seventy years, I mean, yeah, what, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't meet like someone like a flyer in World War Two. I mean, World War Two was the the atom bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. What does that got what to is, do with who she loves? But 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 I mean, I remember you're, you're she's telling, not like you and me. She's not like you and me. She's probably thousands of years old. Like I don't know how right. long she was on Themyscira. So to her, she just lost Steve yesterday. I mean, to her. I don't know. I, I, I you know what? I, I just thought that that was that was an easy narrative device that they used. I, I I would I would love to have seen a montage of what was she doing for the rest of the 20th century. From the end of World not, War One, not falling in love. She's been living a life of isolation. But anyway, uh, yeah, an isolated life where she actually has dinner at a cafe by herself on a walkway where every dude, like if I saw Diana Prince. If I was like 12 years old coming out of a movie theater and I walked down the road and saw her sitting alone at a cafe, I would have stopped and I would have said, hi, I know I'm 12, but you're an incredibly beautiful woman. And I would have walked on. There's no way it was not. It was not portrayed. It was so weird the way they did that. Well, yes, that that was weird. I, I you and I are in complete agreement with that. Like, that was that on. was weird. OK, hold on. We, I got we no- got a thousand more questions to go through. We got to keep going. But I agree with you on that point. All right. Next up. An anonymous viewer writes um, in A New Hope, Vader tells Obi-Wan, when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Do you think since Disney seems content to slightly break canon for the Obi-Wan show that Obi-Wan and Vader will have will have a duel and Vader will lose? Well, I mean, one of the things that they did say was that they are going to have another duel. I mean, that, that's the thing. They said they're gonna, there's going to be a rematch in this. And yes, do all the semantic dancing around you want. They are clearly breaking canon by doing it. The clear implied message of the movies was that was the last time they saw each other. Now they're changing it. Fine. As If it's for the story, I'm okay with it. Rob, Rob, don't, 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 don't go, don't go there. It was clear. The message of both the original Star Wars movie and of the prequels was the implied message was this was the last time they saw each other. And now they're changing it. Wait a minute. I don't necessarily. All he said when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. The last time we saw Vader and Obi-Wan meet canonically so far was on Mustafar. Yes. You know, and and Obi-Wan had the high ground. There's nothing to say that they didn't meet because when he says when Vader could have meant the when I saw you, I was but the learner, meaning uh, I was still your Padawan, but I could have been. He wasn't Vader yet. Yeah, yeah. You can play the semantics of that. Sure, you can twist the semantics around, but clearly the implied message of the original movies that all Star Wars fans all understood for decades was that once they had that battle on Mustafar, that was the last time we saw it. That was always the understanding. Well, but you're adding now that. They're, because- yes, they're adding it. They're cha- And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay. You know, a few years ago, I wouldn't have been okay with that, but I'm okay with that if it's to tell your story. Because to your point, story comes first. And if your story is you want them to, to confront each other again, then go ahead. Come up with your semantic reasoning and say, well, actually, we could do this and make... I'm actually okay with it. I mean, it still is what it is. They're breaking what has always been the traditional understanding of when Obi-Wan and Vader last saw each other. And five years ago, I would have thrown a fit about it. It says when I, meaning I, Darth Vader. 
not I, Anakin Skywalker. But again, that's, again, that you're doing just what I'm saying. You just you, now you're twisting semantics, Rob. Before this new thing, ev- all Star Wars fans understood that was the last time. But now that we're introducing this, we're coming up with these semantic workarounds, and I'm okay with it. Again, I'm okay with it. But it is what it is. It right. was always the understood. We all, for decades, understood that was the last time they saw each other. And now we're changing our understanding of that. And we're finding loopholes in the wording to make it possible. And that's okay. But it, but I'm just saying, it doesn't mean we ignore what it is we're doing. They are kind of changing things. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I it, that's a pretty that's a pretty vague. There's not a lot of specifics in his statement. I agree. I agree. It was implied. I agree. That's yeah. why I'm saying it. That was the implied message. I well, one thousand percent agree. All with you. of Star Wars was only going to be a one-off anyway. Yeah. So anything. Yeah. Was, it was just <laughs> absolutely okay. Everything after Star Wars has been made up. So. Oh, so. did I lose? Oh, no, we're still here. Okay, I didn't lose it. All right, an anonymous viewer writes, in three main events for the UFC in January, uh, Cosmo versus Edward, that is like the highlight fight for me, even more than uh, McGregor versus Poirier. Holloway versus Qatar, McGregor versus Poirier. Uh, who do you have winning? I have uh, uh, Kamzat by submission. This dude's an animal, by the way. Uh, and I see him winning by submission as well. Holloway via decision. I do see Holloway winning. I Actually, I see Holloway winning by knockout. I do. I see Holloway winning by knockout. And McGregor via second round TKO. I think McGregor wins by... Um, I'm cheering for Poirier, but I think McGregor wins by decision. Poirier, there's something in his blood right now that that last fight, Dustin Poirier fight, that right. dude took a lot of damage, and he just kept going and eventually won that fight. So I don't think McGregor's going to knock him out, but I do think McGregor, unfortunately, I think McGregor wins that by decision. All right, John, I'm, yes. I know you like, we've been to Vegas together, and I know you like yes, to play yeah. poker. Do you I ever do. bet? Do you ever bet on MMA fights? Can I, you bet on them? I don't. Yes, you can. I the um, they, they, Every hotel, almost every hotel there has a sports book. Right. And I have gone, I've been there with buddies before, and on a Sunday morning, we go to the sports book and, you know, drop 50 bucks on something on uh, on a game. But I have never bet on a UFC fight. And the one time I really regretted that, the one time I really, really regretted that was Rampage Jackson versus Chuck Liddell. That was the one time. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can bring this up. Uh, Jackson versus Chuck Liddell. Because... Chuck Liddell was the massive betting favorite. He was the massive betting favorite in that fight. Yeah. And I'm like, have you guys, have you guys seen this? Like I, I really, he's the favorite. And I, I thought about if there's ever a time to go and put money on a fight, I would want to go and put money on rampage Jackson. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't. And, uh, rampage Jackson, uh, ended up, uh, winning that, uh, uh, winning that fight. Okay. Uh, let's keep going here. Um, I'm Batman, right? So that's why the New York Knicks have been terrible for such a long time. I am not going to say what that's from uh, because it, w- it could be considered a spoiler. All I'm going to tell you, I'm Batman is when as a sports fan, when they said that line in that movie, I laughed my ass off that, that to me <laughs> as a sports fan, that was the funniest line of the movie. 
Again, I'm not going to say where it's from, but it was really, really funny. I love that moment. All right, Jonathan writes, uh, my uh, quick movie review of Soul. Not the best uh, Pixar, but it definitely has Soul and is beautifully animated. Concept can get too weighty, but its message does shine through. Uh, mad that I didn't see it in theaters. Grade B+. I'm very much in agreement with you, Jonathan. I, I, get, I don't think it's one of the top, 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 top Pixar movies. But it is a solid entry in the Pixar pantheon. And the moral of the story was one of the best they've ever had in Pixar. It was absolutely beautifully done. It is a beautiful film. It's, it's, it's a beautiful film. I, I have probably about four or five other Pixar films I would put ahead of it. But it is a wonderful, beautiful film. And I, I enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, Anonymous Viewer writes, uh, Hey, John, I just finished watching Wonder Woman 84. To avoid spoilers, I'll say that I enjoyed hearing a familiar BVS track that uh, uh, Jenkins used and a Wonder Woman scene that I'm almost 100% sure was influenced by my favorite Man of Steel scene. Your thoughts and thank you. Well, I've already kind of tracked that I really liked uh, a lot of the music in it. Um, I thought the music worked in the film. The right tones were struck at the right scenes. Uh, you know, again, I spent about five hours whining and complaining about the things I didn't like about the movie, but that is one of the things that does stand out to me anonymous. It really, it really does. And I, I enjoyed that part of it. One of the reasons why I don't completely hate the movie. There are several reasons I didn't completely hate it, and that's one of them. All right, Eduardo O'Neill writes, I have just graduated as a software engineer, and because of the emotional toll of the last two years of it have taken on me, soul hit me like a brick. I was crying wow. I was crying and out for like the last 30 minutes thinking of my career and, and maybe dangerous obsession. Listen, did you have a chance to see soul yet, Rob? Nope, I'm watching it this afternoon. I, I, will, not. I will tell you what. The, the movie, here's the best thing about the movie. What you think is the moral of the story of the movie for the first full half of the movie. It's a very right. traditional moral of the story that a lot of movies have. And then once you get about halfway through the movie, you realize, and our characters realize, what you think is the moral of the story is actually the complete opposite. The actual opposite is what the moral of the story is. And then they play it out. And I, I tell you, I there was a moment that for about five minutes, when I realized what they were actually going for, I almost tuned out of the movie for about five minutes because I was just thinking about what the moral of the story was. Mm. And they play it out beautifully. And I, I can't wait to talk to you about it once you have a chance to see it. Um, all right. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Eduardo, man. I really appreciate that. All right. One last question while we've got Rob still here. Uh, Michael Bradley writes, hello, John. Saw Wonder Woman 84 in IMAX and had a great time. Not as good as the first one, but solid. And nothing beats the movie theater experience. I'll tell you what, Rob. There were several parts of that movie um, that I, all things that you saw in the trailers, the a car caravan action sequence, the fight with Cheetah, the flying in the plane. There were several parts of that movie that I thought, I like these scenes and everything, but man, this would be, especially when they're flying above the fireworks in the clouds. I just remember thinking, man, I wish I was watching this in a theater and a big I screen. Did, yeah. And that would, was there any moments in that film that you thought to use like, man, if this was on a big screen, this would be an even better experience? Well, I, I have to say there's something really weird about, we, we've been talking about the music there's a piece of music in Wonder Woman 84 where I'm like, this piece of music is from another movie. And it's a it's a favorite piece of Oh, yeah, of music. Sunshine, right? Sunshine, Adagio. And, and I'm like, did he James Horner this and just lift it? Turns out that 
they temp tracked the movie when they were editing the film with this piece of music. And it was Hans Zimmer who said, why don't we just use it? And they licensed the piece of music and Hans Zimmer recreated his version of it, which I thought was really strange. But when that piece of music was playing, I have this emotional response just to that piece of music because I love it. She's, it was when she was, you know, flying and, and, uh, I, I was like, I want to be in the dome, man. I want to be in the mm. Cinerama dome. I want to be in my favorite seat. I want to be sitting there at the, the the balcony level in the front row, row M, with my popcorn and my Diet Coke, and I I I the the, the music and she's soaring and I'm just like, gosh, I miss movie theaters. The the, miss- the Cinerama dome, by the way. I'll I'll just bring this up on your screen here, Rob. The Cinerama Dome is this iconic theater in Hollywood. I love it so much. Um, that's got this. It, first of all, it is literally in this giant dome. By the way, you see it. You see this dome uh, in the opening of um, uh, Entourage. In and the once open- upon a time in Hollywood. It was and, in ice. Yes, it was. And they drive by. This is the inside of it. And it's a big curve. I'll be honest with you. I don't love the curved screen. Right. The curved screen, it does some wonky things for me. But the theater itself is a really cool experience. And the screen, you can't really tell. This picture doesn't do it much justice. Well, you can't tell how big it is. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It's completely huge. And it kind of wraps around you. But this picture has my favorite seat in it. So if you go to the right of that photograph and you see that little boxed area there that's on the top, the, the, that, that banister, the, the brown, the wood banister, if yep. you think about if you go in the middle of that little box, row M, like right, yeah, right down there, uh, that's my favorite. Right here seat. where my mouse is moving No, no, around. no, go up, go to the right because it, it actually doesn't, it's on the far right of the screen is actually the center box, that right there. Yeah. That's my seat, man. That's that front seat. That's where I sit. I, I have to get those seats whenever I see a Marvel movie or a big release. Star Wars, they put new laser projection in for Force Awakens. That's where I sit, man. And that's I had no time to die tickets. I had my favorite tickets for you right had, there. Oh, you had your like your Cinerama Dome? Yes, I had my fa- I bought them like when they went on sale two months in advance. I was waiting until the actual moment. I went click. I'd pick my seats out. And that was for April of, of, of 2020. <laughs> 2020. <laughs> and I, I, I like, I get a notice back from like two months later. They're like, we will refund your money. I'm like, I don't want my money refunded. I just want to see no time to die in my favorite seats. Yeah. And this Bye. is, this is, by the way, this is right in Hollywood, right yeah. on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, and it's connected. You see that kind of glass building behind it. It's connected to another very popular Hollywood film uh, called the Arclight Cinemas in Hollywood, which is very, very popular. And uh, the Cinerama Dome, though, that's where Rob likes to see his movies. Well, listen, I Rob- do. And, you know, 2001 open there. You know, people used to trip out when they watched the movie in that theater. <laughs> it has a long, very storied history. And when I moved to L.A. 32 years ago, that to me was like the holiest of holies was the Cinerama Dome. <laughs> well, Rob, it listen- still is. It's a white kidding. It still is. Uh, thanks a lot for being here today, man. We uh, we still haven't decided if we're doing a show tomorrow or not. I, I think we might. And we'll we'll figure that out later for sure, a little bit later. But in the meantime, Rob, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, where four films debut 
in the next couple hours for the Intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival. So go check them out. All right, Rob. Thanks a lot for being here, man. And I will talk to you later today. Have a good one. All right, man. See you later. Ciao. All right, guys, that is the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. So we still have some time. So let's keep on going through your questions here. All right, next one up. Uh, We've got, uh, that was Michael Bradley, I think we just read. Okay, next up, Jonathan writes, "Uh, my quick movie review of Wonder Woman 84. What a marvelous, amazing, timely movie. If a movie is as good as its villains, then Wonder Woman 84 is gold standard. Funny, quirky, with this 1984 setting and touching. This movie has it all. Light on action, but compelling nonetheless. Wonder Woman 84 is one of the best DCU has to offer, and I wish I had seen this in theaters. Fantastic through and through, grade A+. And that, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jonathan, because... While there are a bunch of people who really didn't like the film, and and I personally found it very disappointing, it's good to remind it that there is a lot of people out there who really do quite like it. A lot. Um, I mean, as as a matter of fact, as of right now, Wonder Woman has higher audience ratings and higher, or Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four has higher audience ratings and higher critic ratings than Batman versus Superman. Than uh, I think uh, I think Suicide Squad. Uh, th- then a couple of the big DCU films. All I can say, Jonathan, is I wish I had your experience. I you know, I want to love every movie I see, and I want everybody to love movies they see, even if they're movies I don't like. And so I'm envious that you had such a positive experience because I'm just jealous because I wish I had that positive experience. I did not, but I'm glad you did, and you're not alone. There are a lot of people out there who really like the film too, so good on you, Jonathan. All right, next up, uh, Frank Derrick writes, uh, Luke to Grogu. Uh, you will be the first student at my new training temple. This is my nephew, Ben. He'll be your roommate. Grogu, I've got a bad feeling about this. Well, I mean, also remember, I don't even think, this was a discussion that came up. I don't even think that uh, Ben was born yet. I have to go through and do the actual year chart, but I don't even think when Mandalorian is happening, I don't think uh, Ben or Kylo Ren had even been born yet. Maybe he was, I don't know, but that would make a good comedy. Darklock 63 writes, enjoyed Wonder Woman 84. It has, it has some issues and I really wish they had used delay to clean up, use the delay that they had to clean up the CGI really needed to be in theaters, man. I'll tell you what, one of the, I, I'm not going to pretend it's like it's a major important issue, but the, there were, there were some CGI in this movie that was fantastic. There's some CGI in Wonder Woman 84, that is wonderful. That said, there was some really bad visual effects too. Like that really stood out. And while I love the 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 golden lasso, it looked terrible. Um, so that is, yeah, that's that's one of the critiques that I had about it as well, Dark Lock. But I'm glad you enjoyed the film overall, man. All right, next up. Kara Black writes, my personal top 20 superhero films. Number 20, Captain America, the, the first Avenger. Number 19, Deadpool. Number 18, Batman versus Superman, Ultimate Cut. Number 17, Superman Returns, a very underrated and underappreciated film that's ahead of its time. I like Superman Returns. It's a terrible comic book movie, but it's a pretty good movie. Uh, and I really like... Um, Brandon Routh in it as well. Uh, Number 16, Shazam. I really love Shazam. Number 15, Black Panther. Number 14, The Avengers. Number 13, Winter Soldier. Number 12, Civil War. Number 11, Superman, the movie, the original with Christopher Reeve. Number 10, Man of Steel. Number 9, Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. I did like Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. One of the very few animated comic book movies that I really liked. Uh, Number 8, Logan. Number 7, Wonder Woman. Number 6, Infinity War. Number 5, Aquaman. Number 4, Wonder Woman 1984. Really? You got it that high up? 
Number three, Endgame. Number two, Batman Begins. And number one, The Dark Knight. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people out there still have The Dark Knight as their number one all-time best comic book movie. I don't. I have it in my top three, though. Like, my top three comic book movies of all time are Avengers, uh, Dark Knight, and Logan. To me, those are the three best ones ever made. But it's really neat seeing that you've got Wonder Woman 1984 ranked so high. Thank you for sharing your list with us. There's Man, there's some great movies in there. Man of Steel, Logan, Endgame, uh, obviously Dark Knight. That's a good one. Thanks for sharing that with us, Kara. All right, next up, Hal 9000 writes, Hey, John. So over the holidays, I've watched uh, the new Kaylee Kuko show on HBO, The Flight Attendant. I've heard good things. I want to watch this. Uh, and holy cow, she can really legitimately act. The show was just like, okay, so, so good. But her performance in it was top notch. Thumbs up. Really, I've heard very good things about the show. I've liked the ads. I think the trailers have looked really good. And I've got a few things I got to catch up on before getting to the flight attendant, but that's one of the shows Ann and I have looked at each other and said, yeah, we got to watch that. So I think we will get around to watching that one uh, sooner or later. Thanks a lot for that, Hell 9000. All right, Ryan Lohner writes, if you pause Soul at 22's giant wall of name tags, there's some neat Easter eggs. Best of the one, uh, uh, best of all is one of her mentors was Joe Ranf. Well, I don't want to go into the details of what it is you're talking about because that can get spoilery. So I don't even want to mention who 22 is, but I will say that 22, that character, when I saw the early previews for Soul at D23 ages ago, they showed us some early preview stuff at D23 a lifetime ago. I remember the 22 character was like, okay, this one's going to get a little bit annoying, but it actually became really great. And that, I know the scene you're talking about, Ryan. All right, next up, uh, Boris writes, hey, John. Uh, I just got back from seeing Wonder Woman and I have to say, I'm really disappointed. My friend who was with me loved it, but I felt so let down by it. I got bored and didn't really like the vibe they went for. I hoped you liked it though. Thanks. I didn't like it, but I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. But this is really, this whole chat is a great example of just how divided a lot of people are. We've just heard from a couple of people who really like it. And now we're hearing from people who don't. I wish... I had your buddy's experience. Like even you, your buddy liked it. You didn't. And hey, you know what? That's film, man. That's movies. Some t- movies are art. And when you put up a piece of art, it's gonna sometimes it'll hit some people in a beautiful, powerful way. And sometimes it'll hit other people completely differently. And Wonder Woman 84, for me, unfortunately, was one that I walked away from ultimately feeling pretty disappointed in and let down by. Uh, not a, a flaming car wreck like some people make it out to be, but but disappointing and and uh, unfortunate nonetheless. I, I can't I can't recommend the movie. Uh, I can't recommend it. I guess especially after my second viewing. But I'm glad your friend did, and uh, I wish you and I. I wish we could have liked it as much too, but it's all good. All right. Thanks for that, Boris. Uh, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, John and Rob, just missed Rob. How much did you grin when you heard Robert Rodriguez shot the Tess Boba Fett fight scenes with his kids and his action figures? Oh, I, I never heard that. But have you seen though? Let me see if I can find this. Um, Baby Yoda, Robert, uh, Rod, Robert Rodriguez. Let me see if I can. Have you guys have seen this though, right? You guys have seen this. Have you guys? If you've not, you do have to go and, and find it. Have you seen this video of Robert Rodriguez on set of uh, on set of Mandalorian? 
and he's playing his guitar and baby Yoda is just beside him kind of bopping his head. It's awesome. I don't know. Do they, do they've got it? Let me see if I can play this. I'm going to mute it, but maybe I'll turn the music for a second. Look at baby Yoda bopping his head to the music. I don't care. I could watch that all day. I can watch that all day. That video is awesome. So if you want to go check that out, do go check that out. But I totally love that. Uh, Let's see here. Next up. um, Where are we at? We are at Wakandan Forever writes, uh, American Gladiator, step aside. One woman is getting her CrossFit in. No politics on the show, Princess Diana. I don't know. One character reminded me of a certain someone. Everybody questioned Kristen getting cash. She was great. Roar, I had a blast. You know, honestly... I, um, I was one of the people, cause I love Kristen Wiig. I do, but to be honest, I was one of the people that questioned her casting, not because I don't think Kristen Wiig is great, but because I didn't know that she'd be a good fit to play that character. And this is why whenever people ask me, Uh, whenever people ask me about X actor and X role, I say, look, as long as you get somebody talented, I'm fine with it because I haven't read the script. I don't know if this actor would fit that character well or not. Like a a lot of times when fans, when we as fans do fantasy casting, I want to see this guy play Blue Beetle. Well, what we're really saying is I think this actor would be a good fit for the Blue Beetle the way I've got Blue Beetle in my head. But we don't know if the the Blue Beetle in our heads is the same way that the screenwriter is writing it, right? So we don't know if that person would be a good fit for it or not. And when I heard that Kristen Wiig was cast to play Cheetah, my initial reaction was, I love Kristen Wiig, but is that a fit? And I thought she was actually great in the movie. I thought she was one of the few strong points of the movie. Not that the character itself was an overly strong point, but Kristen Wiig played that character exactly the way the character was supposed to be played. And so for that, I, I kind of liked it. And that's a good uh, object lesson for us. All right, next up, uh, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, I need to hear the full version of the Mandalorian blues. Uh, you can go and find it on YouTube. You can go and find it on YouTube. Uh, next up, Garden Variety Vagabond also writes, uh, with all the cameras backstage filming the Mandalorian documentary series, I would think that the tension environment claimed by she who will not be named would be evidence and not only known by one or two people whispering secrets. Uh, okay, again, this goes back to the whole thing about, um, and uh, I, I do not like, listen, I don't like, can I just say this? I do not appreciate or like being forced to be put into a position where I have to defend Grace Randolph <laughs> because every look, no big secret. I, I'm not a big fan of Grace Randolph. That's no big secret. No big deal. Not every, not everybody's a fan of everybody. Not everybody's a fan of me. Not everybody's a fan of that person. I, it's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But I got to say, um, I will, I will defend Grace Randolph in her covering of the Pablo Hidalgo, Pablo Hidalgo, there you go. We're still on that of the Pedro Pascal, both names started with a P, um, of the Pedro Pascal story. Cause she had come up with this story that Pedro Pascal, you know, stormed off of the Mandalorian set and left half the show. And they had to rewrite the second half of the show because he wasn't going to be in it and all this kind of stuff. And as it turns out, that was not true. I never believed it. And it turns out it wasn't true. But so John, why would you defend Grace Randolph? Because Grace Randolph only did what a lot of 
what everybody in the online world does. She got told by a source that she trusted that that was the case. And the way it was communicated to her, she believed it. And believing it, she then turned around and then communicated that to her audience. Now, listen, sometimes you do that and you're right on the money and it turns out to be true and you look like a genius. But once in a while, it turns out your sources are wrong and you look, end up looking silly. It's happened to me at least two separate occasions, uh, most dominantly with the Ant-Man casting thing. When I said, oh, this guy's going to play Ant-Man. And then, you know, Edgar Wright specifically said, uh, no, he's not. And, and, and that made me look silly. Uh, and we're not talking about making random predictions, but actually saying this is the case. So it happens and it happened to Grace. It's not the first time it's happened to her. It won't be the last but she's also got some big things right, and it won't be the last time she gets some big things right. So I, I honestly, I think people, and again, I, I, I resent that I'm put in a position that I have to say this, but I honestly think people need to cut Grace Randolph some slack. I really do. I, hey, she just did what a lot of people did. She trusted the source. The source told her a certain thing. I don't believe for a second that she made up that stuff. I, I can 100% believe that that's what she was told. And she trusted it and communicated it. And- then some people say to me, well, John, she's still doubling down on it, even though it's been proven wrong. Well, listen, if Grace believes and she feels she has reason to believe the original story, the way she communicated it, then she should stick by her guns. If she still, if she actually still believes it, if she hasn't had her mind changed by all the other stuff we've seen come out since, then she should stick by her guns. I, I don't agree with her, but I mean, if she believes it, she's sticking by her guns. I have no problem with that. I, I personally, I don't think anybody should have a problem with that, but that's just me. I just think everybody should give uh cut grace some slack on that whole thing. Uh, anyway, um, where, where are we at here? Um, Ryan Lohner writes, here's how I like to describe Shogun. To, oh, I love Shogun. Here's how I like to describe Shogun to people who've never heard of it. Imagine game of Thrones, except Mr. Bean is stuck in the middle of it. What? Screwing up everything he touches and everyone's trying to figure out what to do with them. I don't know if I would say that Chamberlain played a Mr. Bean sort of character, but you're right. You're getting into this feudal age, this fish out of water Englishman explorer is dropped in the middle of all this high drama. It's so good. I cannot wait for you guys. For those of you guys who never read Clavel's novel Shogun or never saw the Chamberlain miniseries of Shogun, I cannot wait for you guys to see this uh, FX series of Shogun. I cannot wait for this. It is honestly, man, it might be the thing that got me most excited out of the Disney announcements was Shogun. I mean, I, I just freaked out about that. I'm so excited for it. I can't wait for people to watch it, Ryan. All right. Um, uh, Nosferatu writes, Dolores. I'm not quite sure what that's a reference to. What was it? What is that? Well, guys in the chat board, what is Dolores a reference to? Anyway, I'll move on for now. Thanks for writing that. I didn't know Nosferatu. Uh, next up, uh, the Wakandan Forever writes, Pixar did it again. Everyone watch Soul. To all the teachers, coaches, parents, anyone in a mentor role, please watch Soul. John, let me be real for a minute. Wakandan slash black community, they did their homework and uh, did us right. They really did bring the soul. They really did. Oh, it's a Seinfeld thing. Thank you to everybody in, in the live chat. Uh, rule of two, Jesse, Swarbrick, everybody. in. Yes, Seinfeld. Thank you. Dolores. Anyway, um, look, obviously, like Coco, 
I know authentic Mexican culture about as well as Taco Bell knows authentic Mexican cuisine. I don't know anything about authentic Mexican culture. All I know is that it felt to me as somebody who is not Mexican and doesn't know, it just felt so grounded and heartfelt and real. I needed other friends of mine who have Mexican heritage to tell me that, yeah, they really nailed this thing. I obviously do not know African-American culture very well. All I know is that it felt really good to me when I watch it. And I've had a lot of other people now communicate to me that they felt really good about it. So, and it is a wonderful, beautiful movie. Um, and also, oh yeah, by the way, Marta is also pointed out, don't forget Dolores is also the Westworld character, but Dolores, that was definitely a, a, a Seinfeld reference. All right. Thanks for that. We're kind of forever. Uh, Sloth is legend writes, John, Wonder Woman 84 is an awkwardly paced mess. I'm not going to disagree. The first 70 minutes feel like a slow, um, feel like a slow, cheesy origin story with some rom-com. Then it flips on a dime and turns into a full-on superhero sequel for for the last 60 minutes. The two halves felt disjointed, agree, disagree. Yeah, I'm not going to, yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. It, and that's not the main problem of the movie. But that is one of the problems of it. It really does feel like a tale of two movies. And neither of them were done particularly well. The first part, nostalgia, 80s, even though they didn't have much nostalgia, nostalgia, 80s, quirky, funny, uh, you know, cheesy sort of thing that they were going for didn't quite work well. The second half, more traditional superhero uh, kind of thing didn't quite execute well and they didn't fit well together. I, that's just me. The, the two parts didn't ex- actually fit all that well together. That's just my take on it. Others will disagree. All right. Glenn Tracy writes, uh, Wonder Woman 2, where was the action? There was the mall scene, Egypt scene, and Cheetah. Three minutes, poor fight. I, th- I actually thought the Cheetah fight was pretty good. It was very short, but I actually thought the fight was pretty good. Uh, they could have kept Cheetah in the human form and maybe saved her for the future. Felt the movie never got out of second gear. Yeah, I agree. And listen, while three action set pieces is enough for a superhero movie, if the three action set pieces legitimately feel like big screen action set pieces, the mall scene was not. The mall scene felt silly and weird and did not feel like a superhero action set piece. It felt pretty lame, actually. The car scene was good. I I dug the car scene. The car scene for me worked quite well. Uh, the car caravan scene. I thought that was a really well done scene, to be honest with you. I thought that one worked. I felt the kind of thrills of it when she's under the car, had that Indiana Jones feel to it. So I felt like that one worked. I also liked the cheetah scene, but to your point, it was well too short. And a fight with cheetah should not be your preliminary event. The fight with cheetah should have been the main event. Not the secondary bad guy that Wonder Woman's got to get through to get to the main bad guy. The the culmination of a fight with Cheetah should have been grander, longer, and all that kind of stuff. As a two to three minute scene, did it work? I thought it did, but it was not a great final set piece for a comic book movie. So I, I in general, I agree with you, Glenn. I, I do. Uh, even though I did think that the Cheetah scene, the fight scene was good, it just wasn't enough. And certainly not the climax of your film. And so anyway, yeah, there's that. All right, next up. Um, Senator Bale Orgasm writes, 
finally saw Tenet at home. I liked it a lot. Now, there were a lot of scenes of an exposition dump, but there was also cool and clever ones. Me and the family almost got headaches after watching it due to confusion and and exposition. Ambitious movie, a bit too ambitious. Thanks. I feel very much the same way you do. I like Tenet. I still haven't watched it at home. And I'm very anxious to watch it again with subtitles. Because one of the big problems of the movie was in the midst of all the exposition dump, you couldn't, the, the sound levels were off and I couldn't properly understand or hear what it was they were saying like 25% of the time. And again, I understand that there are parts of this movie where we as the audience are not supposed to be able to understand what's being said. I get that. But, you know, there were parts of the movie where we were supposed to understand that was being said. And in the theater, I, me, me and everybody else in the theater just kept looking at it. Just like, did you understand what they just said? No, nah, did you understand what they just said? And so I got to watch it. I still liked it, but I definitely got to watch it again at home with uh, subtitles on. I definitely do. All right, next up. Now, listen, guys, we're going a little bit over time today because we are really behind. We are really behind on the amount of, and I need to get all caught up. So we're not going to get all caught up right this moment, but I want to, I'm going to keep pushing forward for about another half hour. Do you guys mind? Is it okay? Can we push the show a little, like a half hour longer today? I just want to get through more of your questions that you guys have sent in. All right, let's keep going on here. Um, uh, hey, John from Isaac Patton, who writes, um, do, 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 do. Hey, John, I, I recently enjoyed soul, although I couldn't help help agreeing to some degree the sentiment that soul is the black version of coco main character has musical ambitions family is disproving and spiritual enlightenment what are your thoughts well okay here's the thing though that's 500 movies somebody has a passion about something family those closer to them don't think they can do it and don't approve has an ultimate kind of metaphysical or spiritual or profound message at the end That's 500 different movies. The question is, do they tell it in a unique way? And while that basic structure was there, I agree. I I really didn't feel any similarities to Coco. Well, music is there. Well, yes. But understanding that music was there, did it feel at all like Coco? All I can say is from, pardon me, for myself, I I didn't feel any similarities between it and Coco. Yeah, that basic structure, but that basic structure is there in hundreds of movies. So I, 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 I was okay with it, but Hey man, I mean, your experience with it was you got real Coco vibes from it, but for me, that didn't take anything away from the movie. I, I thought it was really good. I thought soul was really good. Not my top three or four favorite Pixar films, but really, really good. And definitely a beautiful film. All right. Thanks for sharing that. Isaac. Uh, next up dark Knight rises writes, Hey John Eastwood's old acting coach used to say, don't just do something stand there. <laughs> I like that. Is it possible we are missing something great in the work of Charles Bronson? Uh, He, movie after movie, just simply delivered. Not a lot of embellishment, good stuff. Charles Bronson was excellent. Whether you're going from, like, obviously his vigilante movies or you're going back to the Dirty Dozen or anything like that, Charles Bronson, he understood as an actor, there was a time to uh, project and there was a time to be. Charles, uh, he had the ability to communicate a lot without doing a lot. You know what I mean? To communicate a lot without doing a lot. And he brought that to, to his films. And so when he would speak and he would be doing more interactive acting, it heightened it because his ability to do so much 
without saying a lot inside, it was presence. Uh, Lisa uh, Mortini in the live chat, is say, it says it perfectly. Bronson had presence. Yeah, Bronson had insane presence, and he is definitely underappreciated. He really is. All right, uh, Dark Knight Rises also writes, I am looking for new friends here in Dallas. Where's the best place to look for movie clubs in various cities, people who might be into the same kinds of things? Um, I honestly don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Facebook the last year or so, but um, I would say jump on Facebook. See if you can find a group of Dallas movie fans or something like that. That would be my best guess. Even though I'm not a huge, um, uh, even though I'm not a, uh, what you would call a huge fan of Facebook right now, I still think she's, uh, I still think it's, Facebook is a place you can go to get stuff like that. Hold on a second here. Um Give me one minute. Okay. Let's move on here. Uh, Next up. Uh, Isaac Patton writes, "Uh, Hey, John, with Marvel deciding not to recast for Black Panther, I started pondering a particular woman to take up the mantle. Uh, One who's proven warrior, loves Wakanda, and on great terms with the royal family. My vote, Okoye. What are your thoughts? Okoye can't. Uh, Just by the law of Wakanda, she can't. She doesn't come from a tribe uh, and not the heads of one of the tribes. She is Dora Milaje. That is her lifelong commitment and goal. The better choice is Nakia, right? Nakia is the one, if, if if it's not, let me rephrase. The perfect one is M'Baku. M'Baku is the one who should be the next king of Wakanda and Black Panther. Um, He is already the leader. He is already the warrior. He came that close to beating T'Challa in one-on-one combat, like a hair. If they fought 10 times, he probably wins five of those fights. So he, and who's a close ally of T'Challa, M'Baku's the perfect guy. If not M'Baku, the next one is Nakia. You know, she's one of the heads of her tribe. She has been out in the world. She's a fierce warrior. Uh, she's the one she, and she's got blood, right? She has blood, right to challenge for the throne. Whereas Okoye doesn't, uh, Okoye's life commitment is to being Dora Milaje. And so, uh, that's why I would go more, um, and, and Shuri makes no sense. Again, some people will mention Shuri, but Shuri makes absolutely zero sense. She's not a warrior. She has no desire for governance. She wants to be in the lab. That's where she wants to be. If she decided she wanted to be, for whatever reason, which would be totally contradictory to her character so far. But if Shuri suddenly decided to contradict everything about the character so far and say, you know what? I do want to be the monarch. Well, guess what? Now they got to go down to the river, have the ceremony, and M'Baku is going to say, I challenge. That's it. She's done. She's done. Or Koye, like who is, or, or Nakia, I should say. Nakia, who is also going to be the queen she was going to be T'Challa's queen. She has a right to challenge. And who who is Shuri going to beat in a fight? None of them, right? So that's why I always kind of dismiss the Shuri thing. But I'm not saying that's not what they will do. I'm just saying that's they should not do Shuri. Let's be clear. I am not saying Disney absolutely won't do Shuri. I'm simply saying they should not do Shuri. But anyway, that's just me. All right, uh, next up. Uh, even though I love Letitia Wright, I love Letitia Wright and I love the Shuri character, but she shouldn't be the new monarch. Anyway, uh, Dainosaur writes, your argument of breaking canon about the dark saber transfer didn't make sense. Uh, doubt Favreau and Filoni, 
uh, being detail-oriented created a contradiction with something that Filoni created. Vader reveal broke canon. Vader reveal broke canon too, according to your line of thought. No, listen. Uh, Filoni and uh, Favreau already did break uh, several elements of Star Wars canon. Yeah, actually, if you go back to just uh, episode one of season two with the Marshal, right? The Marshal first got introduced in the Star Wars. Uh, why am I freezing on the name of the Star Wars books uh, that just came out a couple of years ago? Uh, guys in the in the live chat, throw I'm, I'm freezing on the name of the books. But anyway. They introduced the Marshal in those books, and then they brought that character into Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1. And I loved the, I thought the character was great. Uh, loved the character as, as, uh, as being great. Aftermath, Colin Z's, thank you. Yeah, the Aftermath books. And they directly, thank you, Colin Z and Thomas and Sean and Yellow and everybody in there. Um, the, they directly contradicted they got a couple of the elements of the marshal in his backstory correct in with the books, but they also, there's a couple of really good YouTube videos explaining the differences between Marshall in the book and in the, and in, um, uh, and Cobb in the show. And they directly contradict a lot of things. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because that was for the purpose of their story. For the purpose of their story, this is what Marshall's backstory is. This is what Cobb's backstory is. And even though it directly contradicts canon and what they wrote in the books, I'm okay with that. Um, so there, so there's that. The And listen, they're going to do what Favreau is going to do is they are going to use semantics and backtrack to find semantic loopholes to make it work with the Darksaber just like they did with Mando never taking his helmet off because we're all like the Mandalorians and everything we've seen on screen, the Mandalorians have never had an issue with taking their helmets off. So what they did was they went back and wrote something to make it fit in. Right. And it worked. It worked. He actually comes from this sect that will never take off their helmets and they live in isolation from other Mandalorians and it works. But they specifically went back and wrote that so it could purposely fit in. That's what they're going to do with the Darksaber. And I have no issue with that. But they're going to find some way to write something new to make it fit in with the lore of the Darksaber, uh, even though in the show it directly did something else, just like they did with the Marshal. They bring in the Marshal in season one, and his backstory absolutely completely contradicts a lot of elements from the books. And it's okay. It is what it is. All right, next up. Uh, Dark Knight Rises writes, what makes a star a star? I read somewhere it's a combination of charisma, leadership, and talent. My sense is a George Clooney already had something long before he made it big. It's almost something he couldn't help. What's your take? It's a good, it's a good question. I, I believe you're right. There are some people you look at and you just go, oh my God, that person's a star. Like I remember James Franco. Before Franco was a big name and he appeared in the first Spider-Man movie. He had already, I mean, that, that wasn't his first thing, but nobody knew the name James Franco. And I remember when I, when I first saw the first Spider-Man movie, one of the very first things I ever wrote was, that dude is going to be a star. He's just got something about him. And sure enough, he went on with Oscars and blah, blah, blah. But um, not as hot right now as he was, but I just knew he was going to be a star. 
A lot of people knew when Dwayne The Rock Johnson was transitioning into movies, even though he didn't have all the acting ability in the world, especially when he started out, he's gotten a lot better. But a lot of people just knew that dude's a star. And you're right. It's a combination of presence, of natural charisma. There's just something some people carry. It's an intangible that just, you know, they're a star. So yeah, I kind of, I agree with that. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Darklock63 writes, uh, had an issue with a biplane pilot flying a modern fighter F-111, especially without a flight slash G-suit. Let's steal random guy's body, do various things, including getting shot at and and with, with it and poor CGI. I agree. Listen, I get it. In Wonder Woman 84, the idea of piloting something, there are some basic foundational things that work, it doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter if you're flying a, a, an old, you know, World War One biplane or whether you're fighting a modern jumbo passenger jet. There are certain principles about flying that are the same. That being said, the technology and the fact that he was just able to get it, to hop into this plane, he's never even been in this era. He hops into the plane, okay, uh, let's see, oh, ignition. Uh, where are the propellers? No propellers? Okay, I know how to handle that. And just he just magically knew how to fly the plane. I Yeah, I mean, I love the flying scene. I do. I love the way they're flying over the clouds. It was beautiful, but the way they got to it was, yeah, that, that was a little questionable. Dark Lock, that was a little bit questionable. Dark Knight Rises writes, What's your opinion of Michael Douglas? Uh, his dad, Kirk, tried to steer him away from the business, but seeing his career, he's had great instincts. Uh, <laughs> instincts? Ah, I see what you did there. Uh, maybe no pun intended. I think he's one of the most underrated actors, even with the Oscar, considering the range of his work. Oh, I don't think one second that Michael Douglas is underrated. No, Michael Douglas is not underrated. People know Michael Douglas, and uh, he is completely celebrated. He's fantastic. As a matter of fact, let me see if I can. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to find this, but I hope I can. I, I might, you know, I might have shown you guys this image before. It's one of my absolute favorite pictures. Uh, if I can finally find it and come across it here, but uh, Michael Douglas, I remember if it wasn't for Michael Douglas, Robin Williams would have had multiple Academy Awards because the year Michael Douglas did um, Wall Street. The year Michael Douglas did Wall Street was, I believe, that was the same year as Good Morning Vietnam. And that was a movie that Robin Williams, a lot of people thought, was going to get his first Academy Award. A lot of people thought that was going to be his first Academy Award was Good Morning Vietnam. I think that was the same year as Wall Street. That performance in Wall Street, Falling Down is another one, Basic Instinct, um, Romancing the Stone, he did with Kathleen Turner. I'm romancing the stone, never leaving your poor heart alone. Anyway, I love Romancing the Stone. Wasn't really big on the sequel, but I love Romancing the Stone. Um, Michael Douglas, and, and he can do anything. He can do it all. He can step into a comic book movie. Uh, one of my favorite days, one of my favorite days in my in my career was I got to have the afternoon with Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas at this location in Hollywood. I just got to have like the afternoon with them. It was awesome. And I had a great conversation with Michael Douglas and he's got such a great view on acting and all that kind of stuff. Cause I, I think I, I was talking to him about his movie last Vegas that he did with Robert De Niro uh, and Morgan Freeman. I love that movie too, by the way. 
I was talking to him about that. And I remember I was asking him and I asked, what are the, you know, what is it that, that attracts you to the, to this particular movie? Like, what are you looking for, for a movie you want to be attached to? And he looked at me and he said, honestly, I said, yeah. He's like, man, I'm an actor for hire. This is my profession. This is my job. You know, because I don't want to overly romanticize it, but I am an actor for hire. And when somebody thinks, hey, I would be good for their project, and they say, we think Michael Douglas would be good for our project, and they want to pay my rate, I am, an, I am here to serve. I'm an actor. You need me to act? That's There's my rate. And if you want to pay me my rate to come and be in, then I am here to serve. And I remember thinking it was one of the most um, down-to-earth, grounded kind of views that I've heard from an actor describing being in the profession of being an actor. A lot of actors like to over-romanticize it. I need to find a script that speaks to me. And I have no problem with that. I'm not mocking any actors that do that. But that's what you often hear, right? It was really cool hearing from Michael Douglas just saying, hey, I'm an actor for hire. If you if you think I'm good for your movie and you want to pay my rate, then I am here to serve. What do you need? And I just thought that was a really cool down-to-earth way. So I love Michael Douglas. And what an icon his dad is. Like, like trying to be an actor in a business where your dad is Kirk Douglas, where your dad is Spartacus. I mean, that must have been an insane amount of pressure, but he handled it great. And I, uh, I totally love the guy. All right. Let's see. Uh, that's my opinion of Michael Douglas. I think the guy's great. All right. Dark Knight Rises writes. Hey, John, I sometimes wonder if anything happened to Richard Dreyfus. Just saw him. What was that really? Uh, oh, oh, what was the movie he was just in with Mads Mikkelsen? He was just in a movie with Mads Mikkelsen and it was a Netflix movie. And I'm forgetting the name of it where Mads Mikkelsen plays a character called the Black Kaiser. Do you guys remember the name of the movie where Mads Mikkelsen plays this hitman character? It was just on Netflix like a year and a half, two years ago. And he was called the, the Mads Mikkelsen plays a character called Black Kaiser. If you guys know the name of it, please fire it in because I'm, I'm freezing on it. But anyway, I remember seeing uh, Richard Dreyfus pop up. Polar, thank you, Quirky Joe. Quirky Joe, Austin Riz. It's called Polar. Um, a movie a lot of people didn't like. I got a bit of a kick out of Polar, but at any rate. And all the, out of nowhere, in the middle of this movie, Richard Dreyfus shows up. And I'm like, I, when's the last time I saw Richard Dreyfus? Anyway, uh, let's get back to the question. Uh, if anything happened to Richard Dreyfus, Spielberg once said something about him having an everyman quality. I may not like all of his characters, but his talent for being interesting is undeniable. Any thoughts? Uh, he's always good. He's always good. I, I've, I've never seen, um, like f from everything from Jaws to Mr. Holland's opus. I mean, I've never seen him in something where I really didn't like him. Although I got to say his appearance in polar was really weird. It's like, it's only for one scene. Um, and, um, it's just for one scene, all of a sudden out of nowhere, hi, I'm Richard Dreyfus and Richard Dreyfus is there and has this one scene. So you can tell they had him for one day and they forced this kind of cameo. It was pretty odd. But other than that, I really like Richard Dreyfus. I always have uh, dark Knight. Pardon me. Dark Knight writes, uh, John, do you ever take note of who the screenwriter is when looking at a movie? Absolutely. Uh, what writers really make you sit up and take notice when you know they are doing the script for a project? Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, obviously there's some of the big names 
that you always go to when, when you're looking at writers and stuff like that. There, there are obviously a lot of big names, but I know when a movie comes out or when a movie gets announced, one of the first things I do, if it's not like one of the big major names writing, one of the first, because there are a lot of writers out there, right? A lot of very talented writers who they're not household names. There's a lot of talented writers who you've never heard the name, but I know when I um, have a, a press release or something come across that announces a new movie coming, one of the very first things I do is I go on IMDb, the writer, because the first two pieces of information that most people want to know is who's starring in it, right? That's usually the, the big piece of information that most people, most average film fans want to know is who's starring in it. For me, and you guys have seen us do this on this show, the, the first thing that I go and look for is who's writing it and who's directing it. Because those are the two most important pieces of information. I'll get excited about certain actors getting attached, but who the actor getting attached is is not imp as important as who's the director and who are the writers. And that's usually the first thing I do. I usually go to IMDb right away. I start looking up past work and what have they done before, and then we talk about it on our shows. That this is being written by so-and-so, who did this and this and this. So, yeah, I always take note of that stuff. Absolutely do. All right, next up, Eric Lynch writes, um, John, one of two. Cheetah definitely did not need to be in Wonder Woman 84. Uh, I would have preferred her being in Wonder Woman 3 with an end credit scene be setting her up, but I could see the reason why she's in the movie. Who is Wonder Woman going to fight? She can't fight Max. Uh, he's not uh, a physical villain. True. Uh, do you think they should have taken Cheetah out of the movie and gave Max more powers like super strength and high durability, more on Wonder Woman's level, and still have the wishing powers so she can fight him in the fight scenes? Well, Listen, I don't actually think that the main reason they kept her, and now I'm not inside the mind of the Warner Brothers executives or Patty Jenkins, so I cannot tell you definitively what their motivation was for, for keeping and having Cheetah in there. But I don't think, I personally don't think that their motivation was because they have to have her fight somebody. Well, her fight scenes with Cheetah were really short. Like both in the White House and at the end, they were both very short and not, didn't have a lot going on with them. I think what Cheetah gave was an important secondary story. You can't just have a movie that just has one story, one plot. You got to have these side stories to kind of give a grander kind of overall feel to your story. You, you need your secondary quest, if you will. If we're going to talk in video game terms, you need a secondary quest, side quests. And having Barbara, Barbara was kind of our avatar, a representative of somebody other than Diana. Our understanding of the temptation and the dilemma of the power of the wish for humanity, for humanity and humans was Barbara. She was our representative for that. And understanding how she started off, why she would wish for what she wished, how getting what she wished would affect her, and why it would be very difficult for a person like that to give up their wish that they had granted. So personally, I think they did it more for narrative points of view. At the end of the day, do I wish they had used Cheetah in a different movie where she is the primary villain? Yes. But, I mean, if you took her out of this one, then you would have had to have brought in another character to sort of fill that role. So it's a bit of a dilemma. I would have done things differently, but it's a bit of a dilemma. All right, next up. 
Uh, we've got the Wakandan Forever rights. Uh, one of two. John, I have to thank you and the community again for giving uh, for giving to adopt a family. You inspired me. I literally made a donation to Toys for Tots. That's awesome. After the show. Uh, in my 20s, I was homeless and spent time in shelters. Getting kindness and hope can have a transformative effect on a person when they need it most. It is more than just a little thing. I have firsthand experience, so I know what I'm talking about. John, you said uh, that you didn't change their lives. Yes, you did. Oh, I appreciate that, man. And, and listen, so for those of you who don't know what Connor Forever is talking about, uh, every Christmas, uh, Ann and I do adopt a family where you uh, you go to the city and the city will match you up with a family in need. And then you basically you know, buy presents and things like that so that family can have a Christmas for their kids that they may not have been able to do otherwise. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't take a lot, but it's an incredible thing that you get to, getting to give a family a Christmas is great. So this year I invited you guys if you wanted to contribute to what Ann and I were going to do for this, for our adoptive family this year, um, I mentioned I wanted to get uh, the daughter a laptop because they had no computer that she could use for school and some presents. We want to get like a, a gift card to like a Walmart, something at groceries or other family needs that they needed and blah, blah. I said, if you guys just use the super chat badge feature, then we'll just take all the money that comes to Super Chat. And you guys like responded huge. And because of your response, we were able to get a significantly better laptop for the daughter than we were originally planning on getting. And we were able to give this like a really good size gift card to the family as well to meet some of their needs this season, stuff like that. And you guys gave this family, it was a single, this year our family was a single mom with, with two daughters, with two kids. Uh, one is just a baby. And you guys were able to give that family not just a great, a much better Christmas than they thought they were going to have. You gave them hope. You gave them feeling like, wow, there are people out there who will help other people. I mean, what you guys did, I mean, I, I could sit here for an hour and try to explain the good that you guys did by doing that, but I, I I don't know how to properly put it into words, but you guys did an amazing thing and it was awesome. And um, and I thank you very, very much for that. And all you guys who participate in that, thank you for that. All right, thanks for sharing that Wakanda forever. All right, next up, James L.H. writes, uh, John, I sympathize a good Canadian in a country that doesn't celebrate Boxing Day. Here in the UK, it's the sales. Online this year due to COVID and football. I like Christmas on Friday as we get as we get substitute holiday on Monday and on Tuesday when Christmas is on Saturday. Yeah, listen, Boxing Day, that's one of the big things. Like the thing about Canada and the US are very different places. And I'm obviously very much Canadian. Canada and the U.S. are very different places, but we share 95% of the same pop culture. One of the big differences when I moved to the States that I noticed was we didn't really have Black Friday in Canada. I mean, it was there. There was some stuff, but really that wasn't it. The big, um, the big shopping day in Canada wasn't Black Friday. It's Boxing Day. It's the day after Christmas. Think about it. Christmas is done. Everybody's bought their presents. Well, how are we going to sell anything on our stores now? Better have a big, ma huge, massive sale on everything. And Boxing Day was like the big day of everything being on sale. And uh, I remember I would go with my dad in the morning. My dad would get up at like five in the morning and drive to Canadian Tire or some other store or whatever that would get their Boxing Day. They have massive like stuff like half off and everything. That was one of the big things. Thanks for that, James LH. All right, next up. Uh, Campius Newhouse writes, 
There's not many MMA shows, but I have to give Kingdom of Chance if you're, but you have to give Kingdom of Chance if you're into MMA. However, it's not for everyone. I got to appreciate the sport because sometimes in the show, they take along, they take you along with the fighters during camp, even the weight cut process. Uh, And if you don't, and if you don't watch uh, MMA, you won't understand how stressful, but how important it is to make weight and what it can take out of you. But with the show, you don't just watch the fights. You go through the uh, through the fighters, through the whole process and lifestyle and how hard it can be. So there's this, um, what was the name of the damn show again? Kingdom. There's this show called Kingdom. Not the Korean, you know, uh, period piece zombie show, but an MMA show. It's not an MMA. It's it's a show revolving around characters who are involved in mixed martial arts. And I, even though I'm really an MMA, I never, I didn't think the previews look good. I didn't think the trailers look good, but I'm hearing from more and more people that I should really check it out. And if I keep hearing from you guys, I might just have to do that. I had no interest in it, zero interest in it, but you guys keep talking about it. And I just might have to give it a shot here at some point. All right. Scott Brown writes, I love DC and I'm a huge fan of the Suicide Squad uh, DCEU. Is that what you mean? Of the Suicide Squad DCU? Man of Steel is my favorite uh, comic book movie. Guys, please don't use acronyms when you write in because uh, I, just write out what it is you're trying to write in. Anyway, uh, Man of Steel is my favorite comic book movie. But if DC is going to continue to go backwards with cheesy BS like Wonder Woman 84, then I'm done with the DCU. Warner Brothers is taking all the progress comic book movies have made and throwing it away. I mean, here's here's the thing, though, Scott. Let, let me Let me say this. We as movie fans can be a real, fickle, contradictory, sometimes hypocritical bunch, right? On one hand, and remember, I'm saying this as a guy who did not like Wonder Woman 84. But we as movie fans, we will often complain that, oh, our films, our movies don't try anything new or different. Or comic book movies are too, be, becoming too much the same. They're, they're too similar to each other. There's, there's just too much to it or, or whatever. Try something different. Try something kind of new or bold or whatever. So here they come along and they say, okay, let's, let's set it in the 80s. You know, we've never, we haven't seen a lot of superhero movies try to do something like that. Let's try to infuse something really different and new. Here's the problem. When you ask a filmmaker to take risks, then you have to accept that the bigger the risk, the higher the chances that it's going to fail, right? I did not like Wonder Woman 84, but I am not going to gang pile on Warner Brothers for taking a risk. They, they took a risk and it didn't work. Flat out, didn't work. I mean, to some people it did work. Some people really loved it and that's great, but for me, it didn't work. So they took a shot at something. They try to do something that's kind of different from other comic book movies that are coming out right now or the last couple of years. And they took a swing. And I give them credit for taking a swing. But just because you took a swing doesn't mean it worked or that you connected. You struck out. And they struck out. For me, with Wonder Woman 84, they struck out. But I never want them to feel like they shouldn't take chances. But if we as fans ask studios and ask filmmakers to take chances, then we've got to be ready that the chances more times than not won't work. And we've got to be ready to say, hey, that movie didn't work for me. Just so you know, I didn't like it. I I thought it was bad on these levels. 
but please don't stop taking chances. Keep, keep swinging. And when you swing and strike out, we as an audience will tell you that you struck out. But what we as fans should never do is like discourage studios from trying all sorts of different things. I want to encourage, I want them to feel encouraged to try lots of weird, different things and, and do wonky stuff. Try it. And if it doesn't work, we'll tell you it didn't work. But let's not discourage them from trying something different. So I will tell Warner Brothers, hey, Warner Brothers, I didn't like Wonder Woman 84. Good on you for trying something different and please continue to try different things. But Wonder Woman 84 didn't work for me. Ah, that's just me for that. All right. Um, last question of the day, guys. And then we're going to have to wrap things up here. Uh, Tim writes, a lot of reviews for Wonder Woman 84 to be about careful a lot of reviews for Wonder Woman 84 to be about careful what you wish for. I thought it was about beauty and loss. Characters overwrote their own loss slash defect, and they needed more because it still wasn't enough as nothing was earned. Diana wanted just one thing. I mean, again, this there's there's there are times when things in a movie, they do something thematically where I really like the theme they're doing and trying with. Um, where thematically, that's a good theme. But just because you do the good theme, that doesn't mean it executes right, right? And I think you can make a distinction between the two. I loved the themes of what they were trying to hit on in Wonder Woman 1984. Both the themes of careful what you wish for and finding purpose and beauty in your deficiencies or in your loss and finding meaning and, and, and holding on that the truth is still more valuable than anything else. I love the themes. The themes worked. It just wasn't executed in such a way that they were very effective. Right. But I do applaud the themes. I, I think they were going for the right things with the themes. Again, to me, it just didn't execute. All right, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the John Campia show. Thank you so much for being here. There will be a, another companion video coming later today because we are still quite far behind on getting caught up. And I want to get caught up on all these questions. So if you guys have sent in a question in the last 24 hours or so and you haven't seen it come up yet, keep your eyes on it. I'm going to put up a companion video a little bit later tonight. And uh, hopefully we'll get maybe not all the way caught up, but we'll get most of the way caught up. And I think we will do a show tomorrow. I think tomorrow will be the last show that we do for 2020. Uh, we won't do a show on, on New Year's Eve because I'm going to probably be busy with uh, house renovation stuff on New Year's Eve. And then obviously we won't have a show on New Year's Day because, you know, got to recover from New Year's Eve. Uh, anyway, guys, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his awesomeness as always. Thank you to all you guys for taking time out of your day to spend with us here on the show today. And a special thank you to all you guys who have been sending in these live questions because number one, you give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you support this channel while you do it. And all of us here involved with the show, thank you guys very, very much for that. Guys, don't forget, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for joining us. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.